Welcome to PWW Talks. I'm John, and as always, I'm joined by Dan. Dan, how are you doing tonight? Hi, John. I'm good. How are you? Where did that voice come from? Dogs. You probably get the inside <laughs> reference if you listen to a radio show that I used to back in the day. Are you an Opie and Anthony fan by any chance? <laughs> I've known Opie and Anthony, yeah. Yeah, that, that's that's how they sometimes occasionally would just, like, if there's a guy, a caller, John, coming in, they'd be like, hi, John. <laughs> I thought you were the church lady, like uh, Dana Carvey on SNL. Oh, yeah, I'm doing impressions now. <laughs> Did I do that? No. But uh, tonight we have probably one of the coolest guys we've ever interviewed. A true saint of a human being. Uh, many of you would know him as Sin Bodhi. Uh, the master of everything Freak Show out in Vegas. He runs Freak Show Wrestling. Uh, also, many WWE fans would know him for his time as Kazarni. Uh, sir, how you doing tonight? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you're very welcome. My dogs are losing their, their minds. I just walked into my office. It's like they've never seen me before. <laughs> I, uh, I kind of warn everybody that I do a podcast with, you will hear... Uh, dog and uh, dog barking, and you'll hear chickens clucking and and so forth. So I can't help it. I, I live on a little um, weird little ranch thing, if that makes any sense. So that makes total uh, sense. We were talking with uh, Taryn from accounting a couple weeks ago. Not Karen like... from accounting. <laughs> <laughs> what the heck in the heck did Karen from accounting have to say about anything? <laughs> she was talking like, and she would just stop mid sentence. She's like. I gotta go let my dog in, and we just start walking around with her around her house. There and, you go. Uh, yeah, it was fun. When, uh, yeah, I just say around here, and they, these dogs don't give a flying f what I'm doing there. They want attention, and as soon as I get on the phone, I swear if I'm talking to somebody on the phone, they, uh, <laughs> my chickens don't make a sound. But as soon as I'm on the phone, my roosters are like cockadoodle doing everywhere. They're like, listen to me. I'm effort. Listen to me. F whoever's on the phone. This is I take priority. And I mean, that's how it works, they, man. It gives zero apps. <laughs> it's like being married, except to animals. Yeah. Why do those cocks have to be so loud while I'm trying to give an interview here? <laughs> yes. Yes. So oh. they're all like little, little attention uh, hookers. Yeah, big time. So this here is uh, Mochi. Um, Mochi. So we, so we're, we're not like an animal rescue officially per se. We're just a couple of just animal lovers that just can't you know turn away uh, uh you know somebody that needs some help so this little punk uh she was she came to us in the worst of ways out of all of our rescues some have come to us kind of horrifically and she was the the best kind of kick out story ever uh, she was literally so she's i don't know she's about 25 pounds now but she was literally like so small i could just put her in my hand right won't oh. and uh some a-hole i wish like i would never hurt a fly but man i could pull i could pull the lever on guys that that hurt kids animals women you know anybody that picks on somebody smaller than them i could definitely pull it pull the you know pull the ripcord on the noose or hit that you know stick that little syringe where it's got to go or whatever whatever uh, just pull so a anyway. warrior and set the plane into a uh, nosedive yeah <laughs> I, I could i i could i could do that to the people that think it's cool to like hit ladies and kids and animals. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So, so uh, when he, when she was literally three weeks old, some a-hole 
uh, decided to help her stop barking by throwing her against the wall and putting her in a coma. And she wouldn't wake up. So the idiot brought her to the vet and the vet happened to be my uh, wife's stepdaughter. She's a vet tech here in Las Vegas. And she asked what happened. She said, oh, yeah, I wouldn't, she wouldn't stop yapping. So I threw her against the wall. So uh, my stepdaughter uh, kind of said, well, you're relinquishing that dog. Get out of here before we call the police. And she raised the thing out of a coma for about uh, three more weeks after that. And then we adopted her right after that. And uh, so she's super duper sweet, but she's got head trauma from, from that damage. So she kind of goes zero to hero every once in a while. You know, she just, uh, the slightest little thing. And it's a good thing that she's a tiny, itty bitty dog. If she was like dog sized, she'd be a, a force to be reckoned with. Oh. And she is usually the super duper sweetest dog, unless my big old uh, Mastiff or something kind of ticks her off or whatever. But um, she's super duper sweet and we're glad that she's here. Isn't that right? So now? Mochi tries to get herself over? Yeah, she's, <laughs> she makes my, my, my daughter is 14 and, and every time, uh, uh, Pi is her name. She leaves to have Pandora, but we call her her. That's her nickname is Pi, and she's an assistant that spelt like the circle, not like the dessert. And whenever she has to go to dance class or music class or whatever, Mochi here just looks at her like she's such an awful person for leaving the house. She's like, "Where are you going? I know you're never coming back. I know there's the end of the world. The sky is falling, and woe is me." And I Mochi, and she just gives she gives Pi the uh, the Mochi eyes, the Bambi eyes. And I'll, I'll text my kid and just be like, Mochi told me to tell you you're a bad person for leaving the house. And she's just like, leave me alone. <laughs> because I'm a giant child, so I have to bug my bug my daughter the way I, since I can't bug my little brother anymore. He's too far away. He's in Vancouver. I can't pick on him. So I got to I gotta tease my my kid. My wife just looks at me. She's like, Pi's your new Steven, isn't she? And I'm like, yeah, I guess she is, you know. But there Yeah, you we go. talked to Steven a couple weeks ago. Um He's just such a good dude, man. Cobra Steve. Yeah. Cobra Steve. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's a good he's a good man. How much detail do you want to go into Edge? Whatever you want. It's fine. We could talk about that fat bastard all day long. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know your your nickname when, as a kid was Fatty, right? Well, all three of us, me and Edge and Christian, we just kind of grew up calling each other like Fatty, Fat So, Fat Kid. So... It used to be, it, we used to, it was like skinny and fat all at the same time because we were these like scrawny little kids and we're trying to bulk up when we first hit the gym out of high school. And and then somehow just the, the skinny fat thing, just like, you know, tease each other, just, just sort of a just kind of worn, worn down just to fat. So, and so I guess I would be fatty, uh, Edge would be fat kid. Uh, uh, yeah, fat so and fat kid and fat ass or whatever. We all just call each other off sorts of stupid names. So we're giant children. talking about Cobra Kai. And he's got heat with Christian. Christian was the one that actually Matt. So Christian is totally like a shit disturber. Loves to like rile up people. He loves it. And, but he was honestly the guy like me and, and Steven were, we were at each other's throats, like all of our childhood into our adulthood, even as we started wrestling and somehow, I don't know how Christian being the biggest shit disturber ever somehow he said something to Steve where it just like just instantaneously diffused Steve and Steve was just like, Hey, maybe we should just get along. And I was just like, yeah, you're right. And we just <laughs> put it down. We just put it down. And, uh, and it was all Christian's fault. So there you go. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, we can talk about 
So when I when I call Edge affectionately, when I call him a fat fuck or whatever, it's like I was joking with Beth uh, Phoenix, his wife. I'm like, you know, I don't care if he's got ten abs. They're all just all those abs are just individual little balls of fat. So. <laughs> laughing about it she's like yeah his abs are fat that's right she's seen them and up then how often... she can prove that they're fat what's that how often do you still talk with him and christian like... well, we were just texting on the way home i just got this we just we literally just this week i'm sorry i get dog hair my eyes selling this doctor um we literally just closed on our our first house uh this week and uh so i was sent over sending back and forth pictures and stuff i was showing him some of the pictures and so he was just he was giggling that the out of all the cool amenities of this house it's not it's just a nice little humble house not any crazy whatever i mean it's crazy it's crazy but it's not you know like uh we can talk about this house too this is a really do y'all ever seen the keep sweet uh show from uh netflix the warren jeff's story yes the he's the the uh mormon cult polygamist guy that's in jail for life wives yeah. yeah. So he had little, these Mormon sex compounds scattered hither and thither between uh, Utah and Nevada and, and Texas or whatever. So where I am sitting right now, my current house, this house is the former uh, Warren Jeff's uh, Las Vegas love shack. So this is like my, my, my house on the outside. Like, so there's like, there's bathroom after bathroom after bedroom. Like it was built for having a bunch of wives and there's a kid jail out back for where they'd stow the kids and stuff to keep the wives in check. Not that that's cool or anything, but I mean, it comes in handy around here once in a while, allegedly. And, um, but like it, it's allegedly, it, allegedly, you know, and uh, weirdly, like, I don't know, this is probably a dated reference for you guys. You guys are younger than I am, but like my house looks like every evil lair in every episode of the A team. <laughs> Like it's, it's, it's fortified. It's got big gates in big gates going out. Like you could drive a Mack truck into my front gates around my backyard and out my back gates. Like it's, it's a fucking compound. And um, so it's ridiculous here and it's awesome. Like it's super awesome. Like it's all like redone and on the inside, it's all no, nothing super duper really creepy about it. It's just, it's awesome. But uh, it was our time to kind of like, I, I'm a renter here. So um, I guess we got it for a song and a dance when we first kind of went to Vegas I guess when something gnarly happens, then the, the real estate prices on things aren't so great. So we got it at a, at a steal. But uh, so then, are you in uh, Vegas City proper, or are you like in Henderson? Or I'm in Henderson, right up. Like you can, like you can see the strip from my front yard. Oh, okay. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, like every every night, me and my wife go for a walk to the mountains. It's about we do like a two and a half mile walk. Yeah, my yeah, one of my really really good friends. She lives in uh, Green Valley. Yeah, that's not too far from here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my place looks like it's this fucking Castle Grayskull. Like it just overlooked. <laughs> it's pretty ridiculous. It's exactly where you think the Warlord of Weird should live. Like the Warlord of Weird does not live at the, the Hacienda Suites, uh, you know, uh, Unit Two B. <laughs> he lives at fucking Castle Grayskull on the edge of Sin City. Legit. So, Sorry, my phone just started ringing for no reason. It's all good. It's like, like I said, no you're going to be bombarded me. with, yeah, it's all good. You're going to be bombarded with chicken noises and dogs barking and <laughs> yeah. all sorts of stuff. I don't understand why I did that though. Like that, that's strange. There was no, no notifications, box, nothing. 
robots, man. Oh, you yeah. ever watch Terminator? Between Terminator and Bill Gates, we're out, we're doomed. They're all listening. Zuckerberg, F yourself. He's listening right now. I know he is. So I work for um, I work for Terminax, the pest control company, right? And this gal called me today because I'm on the phones, and she goes, "Help, help! I need someone to send my Terminator agent out." I go, "What?" She goes, "Oh, my Terminax agent." I'm like, "Oh, because that was about to get real weird." Right, know? right, right. There you go. Is your there last you name's Connor. <laughs> yes. Come on, I need John Connor. Get him out of here right now. Yeah, you're weak. You're soft. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Come on, you little gooey man. Yeah, oh, I love those are my favorite. Like, I, those are my favorite prank calls of all time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Detective John Kimball. Yeah, oh, dude, I love it. I could. Li- I'm a giant child. I listen to that all fucking day. I could listen to it all day. I used yeah. to. I mean, that would be like after high school for me because I'm a little bit younger than you, but not by much. You're all, you're all good. A- day. I got. I got no problems being in my. I'm. I'm. I mean, I, weirdly, I'm at a wonderful age because in pro wrestling, I'm in that unicorn age where I was in that that sort of transitional gap between the old school guys and the new school guys. Yeah. So meaning I, I got to wrestle a lot of the 80s dudes that some of the young guys now, they just, these are the stuff of legends. They never even met them, let alone were in locker rooms, let alone were in the ring with them. So I'm old yeah, enough where wrestled. I wrestled those cats, but young enough where I can still go with the young dudes. So it's a really right, cool cause... age and it's a cool age for just traveling the world and stuff and just, you know, being appreciative of, of historical references, just different things, you know? So I think I'm at a, an appreciative age where when I was younger and I saw cool stuff, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But now I can really appreciate and savor different things, the little things and all that stuff. Cause you've wrestled like King Kong Bundy. You've wrestled Tatanka. Yeah. I mean, you've been I've managed by the sinister the minister. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you name it from the 80s, I either wrestled them or was in a locker room with them or spent time somehow. Or and if I did it, I'm probably only six degrees of Kevin and Bacon away from them. So, and that's an old reference. I, I mean, right there. That, that, that's an old have reference. You, have you ran into like Hogan or? Yeah, I actually, I'll, so, okay. So I used to uh, assistant coach uh, after uh, my release at WWE. I used to re- assistant coach at Hogan and Knobs's, uh school in Largo. And so what happened was one day Nobbs calls me up and was just like, Hey, uh, sinner, can you come in? And, uh, Hogan and Bischoff are filming some A&E special at finding Hulk Hogan. Oh, I remember um, that one. Yeah. Can you, can you get in the ring and roll around in the, in the background because our new students are the shits and they don't know what we're doing and I don't want to look like a dummy. So could you get in the ring and grab, grab one of the boys, get in the ring and just move around and stuff. So I don't look like an asshole. And I'm like, well, I don't know. It'll take more than that, but sure. I'll do, do whatever you want knobs. And uh, so Hogan liked how I moved around. He's just like, man, you can really go. He goes, why aren't you with Vince? And knobs kind of piped up. Oh, he was already there, but he got fucked and blah, blah, blah. And so Hogan was like, okay, well, let's, we'll talk about this off of camera, you know, whatever, trying to, you know, be, you know, politically like safe or whatever. And um, so we got to talking and, and he, uh, is it, this is a this is a very bizarre story um so he says yeah you're really you're really skilled man uh, um sorry that didn't work out with vince he goes but i'm this was at the time when he was like i'm just going to this little company maybe you heard of it tna and i'm like yeah yeah i heard of it you know i was one of the one of the guys in the first couple of years of, of tna but i'm like yeah yes sir and he goes yeah i got this kid i think he'd have a really good feud with uh, a kid named jeff hardy you ever heard of him i'm like yeah yeah i know jeff we're we're, we're good and so 
he's like, okay, well, I'm going to, oh, I'm going to get you over there. I'm like, okay, yes, sir. And I've, I've heard enough stuff that I just, when it, when it happens, it happens until then I won't put those, you know, I won't wait for those eggs to hatch. So some time went by. I haven't seen him at a party here or there. And he'd be always like, brother, 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 I'm going to get this done. Brother, 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 brother. I'm like, okay. And nothing really happened. So uh, me and my, my uh, first wife, we had moved out to Vegas uh, to go do uh, for some business, for business stuff, for, to work for the Jim Rose Circus and all that. And, and then one night I was getting home from a show and I was watching an episode of TNA on the DVR and he was, I think he was squawking at Mr. Kennedy or something. He was kind of cutting a promo to the effect of, um, yeah, you better, you know, up your game because I got a bunch of potential main eventers waiting at home, waiting for you that spot of yours, blah, 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 blah. And I just sort of, it just weirdly rubbed me in a weird way. Uh, a good friend of mine had recently kind of taken his life because he wasn't heard in life. You know, he was, he was unlucky in love. He was estranged from his family. He just got fired from, uh, uh, FCW, uh, the developmental system in Florida for WWE. And so I would just, I'm usually a pretty chill, pretty Canadian-ish dude. I'm a turn the other cheek kind of, you know, typical Canadian guy. And it just sort of rubbed me raw. And I just, I remember just tweeting Hogan and I just put like, hey, how's about, you know, putting your money where your mouth was kind of a thing. Like I, I said it respectfully. I don't remember how, what I said. I didn't, I certainly didn't swear or cuss or anything. But I just was like, hey, how's about that promise, you know? And uh, I didn't think anything of it. I went to bed. It was late at night. I woke up the next morning and there was thousands of res responses on Twitter. I'm like, what's this? And I scrolled all the way down. It's like Hogan Sin, Hogan Sin, Hogan Sin, Hogan Sin. And I scrolled down to the bottom of it and Hogan had kind of bowed up and got hot. He was just like, oh, with an attitude like that, I, no wonder you're not working at any of the companies right now. And I, that just pissed me off. And again, maybe the, the normal me the regular nick or sin or whatever you want to call me might have just sort of respectfully just sort of ate that from a guy like hulk hogan just you know i was always a respect guy i am a respect guy and, and I, you know pecking order i believe in respect and all that stuff and but uh, there's also a time to be a man and just to stand up for yourself and i think uh, that was that one of those days and i just kind of was just like i didn't swear anything but i was basically like you know screw you like I can, I can wrestle as good as anybody. I'm, I, I'll put my creative juices up against anybody. And, uh, and again, I didn't cuss. I was respectful about it. And he, again, immediately tweeted me back. Like, I'm having a nerdy Twitter war with fucking Hulk Hogan. And he literally was just like, oh, I didn't know talent or passion had anything to do with it. I thought it was about the paycheck, brother, brother, brother. And everybody, I thought, like, you know, in the pecking order of things, like Hogan, Kizarni, you know, mm -hmm. there's a, quite a big gap in, in the overness of that not the talent but of the overness there's two very different things there's some guys that could have been job guys that could have run circles around certain main event guys some, some yes some no but in this case again i'll put my skills up against anybody and i'll certainly put my creativity up against anybody and again before i could say anything all these fans are just jumping on him and i thought they would jump on me again because he's the top of the totem pole and i am not and so people were just harping on him and just bugging him and just saying awful things to him and all this stuff. So I just kind of let it be. And I remember knobs, not unlike Christian, we were talking before we we're on air, um, you know, talking about me and my brother and Christian and stuff. And, and uh, knobs loves to kind of like mess around and goof around and stuff and, and uh, you know, kind of stoke the fires. But in this case, knobs calls me and was just like, center, what are you doing? Terry's so pissed off, blah, 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 blah. And I was, again, I was just like, you know, 
you and him can both go fuck yourselves, man. He's like, I'll be quiet. He's sitting right here. We're on an airplane. I'm like, you can both go fuck off, you know, and and, I just stood up for myself. And he's like, no, I know you're upset about your friend and whatever. Because like I was telling you about my my friend, his name was Sean Osborne, bad seed, rest his soul. Because I know you're upset about Sean. I'll smooth this out with the Hulkster, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, whatever, man. Fuck yourself. Click. And I hung up. And then uh, a couple years went by. I just never, we never talked about it. I never, whatever. And then a couple of years later, I had taken my wife, quite a few years later, I took my, my now wife, my awesome wife, my proper wife, my soulmate. I took her to Orlando to see uh, the WrestleMania that was there a few years ago. And I was hanging out with, with uh, Jimmy Hart. Um, we've been good friends for years. And he was just like, sinner, baby darling, baby darling, uh, we got to fix this heat between you and Hogan and all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, well, if he's, if he wants to fix it, I'll, I'm cool to fix it, you know? And uh, so sure enough, Jimmy got on the phone with Hulk Hogan. We're sitting at a little beachfront bar in, in Clearwater, Florida. And not five minutes later, Hulk Hogan pulls up in a yellow and red Corvette. <laughs> 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 you, know, you cannot make this shit up. And, uh, we shook hands, we hugged, we were kind of like, I'm good, you're good, yes, sir, okay. And we kind of winked at each other and gave Jimmy a hug and then Hogan uh, eh, 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 took off into the distance with a, <laughs> with a, with a screech of uh, the, the Corvette rubber. and Bandana uh, blowing in the wind. Bandana blowing in the wind, mustache swaying in the wind. It was <laughs> very romantic, it was very cool. And, uh, but yeah, Jimmy is a real cool dude. And he was, he's, Jimmy has always been, I, I don't think, like, I think I'm, I don't want to, if I was ever going to toot my own horn about something, it would be about just trying to be nice. You know, I won't say I'm the best at this or that or anything like that, but just, I'd like to try to be nice. And I try to surround myself with nice people. And, um, it, it's, it, I'm not Mother Teresa by any means, but I, I just try to be nice. And I think the handful of people that maybe don't like me are probably just the people that I just didn't want to do something for. You know, I didn't want to do something and therefore I'm a dickhead. But otherwise, I think I've got a pretty good track record in the locker rooms and, and so forth and in the, in the rings and promotions about being nice and professional. But I think uh, standing next to a guy like Jimmy Hart, he's a saint. He is such a sweet guy. Like, I don't think there's anybody that I could think of that ever would say a bad word about Jimmy Hart. There's a, there's a couple of guys like that, like uh, Gangrello's like that as well. He's a good brother just a sweetheart of a guy and again if i think i'm nice uh maybe i am maybe i'm not but standing next to jimmy hart or gangrel that i would absolutely be a shithead for sure in comparison for sure and now speaking about gangrel uh he was one of the guys that you wrestled in tna right at, at like the beginning uh when he was going <laughs> under one of the greatest gimmick names of all time vampire warrior bam there it is there it is yeah i i tagged with him and crowbar um, in my first match at TNA against three live crew against Conan, uh, our truth, Ron killings and, uh, and yeah. road dog. Road, road and, dog. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, then, so, uh, Scott DeMore and Jeff Jarrett were just like, Hey, we let you work. Okay. Like Scott, I, Scott was the one that had booked me from, from into TNA from, from Canada, from BCW in, in Windsor, Ontario. And, uh, so I was brand new. Like I was just a couple of years in, I don't know anything. Um, and, uh, Jeff and, and Dutch were like, yeah, we'd like your work if, uh, if, and they were having problems, I think with Brian Lee at the time in the new church, like he just, yeah, I think he was, he had some issues. That's, that's his own private business, but it was, it was screwing up his reliability and all that kind of stuff, I guess. 
And they just said, hey, look, if we have problems, with, if we have some more problems with Brian, um, we'd like you to be the new new church guy. And I said, OK, sure. And, uh, and sure that was enough, with uh, James Mitchell, right? James Mitchell, uh, Wolfie D, a.k.a. Slash, Shane Douglas. Um, it was really awesome. And uh, so sure enough, I became the new newest member of the new church. And uh, we've been uh, thick as thieves ever since. Very good friends with uh, Evil Jim and Wolfie D to this day. Um, talk to Shane Douglas uh, sporadically. Uh, I don't keep up as much with Shane, but once in a while we, we message each other and check on each other and stuff. Wrestling yeah. is weirdly, yeah. like, it is weirdly a brotherhood. Like, there's some people that do some dirty, shady shit to each other, but I'd like to think I'm an optimist and, you know, I've got that Canadian sort of do-gooder mentality uh, on the, on the, the you know, the worst of days. So I try to see the the, the good side of things, the, the romantically altruist, altruistic side of things on the, on the worst of days. And um, so, yeah, let's then there's always talk a good about that real quick. Let's talk about Not that. to cut you off, but let's talk about that real quick. So you were in WWE, uh, still in the late 2000s, early 2010s, like what, 2008, 2009? Because you were there for like six years, right? Uh, I was, I got hired out of OBW in 2006, and I got my WWE release in 2009. Okay, because the locker room back then, it was still a little toxic, right? Or was it good? It was weird. It wasn't. It wasn't anywhere near as corporate or as organized as it is now. It was still. There were still very wrestler elements in it, where there was a lot of room for kind of dirty business. You know, locker room. I don't mean like corporate business. I just mean like just dirty horseshit in the locker rooms. And there was a lot of great people, but there was a lot of like shittiness as well. And uh, you know, it's just a different era and, and so forth. But. I think developmental was still kind of looked at like the redheaded stepchild of, of wrestling at that time. Like the, I think indie guys looked at developmental guys, like they were just big jacked up meatheads that were getting a free ride. And I think the developmental guys were looking at indie guys, like these little scrawny little scrubs. So there was kind of, I think a, an animosity in between both. And I mean, until I was a developmental guy, I kind of, kind of felt that way you know i kind of felt like hey here i am i'm on my own dime paying my dues you know blood sweat and tears across the planet and other guys just given high-end contracts and then i had to kind of realize and just again it's just growth as a human let alone as a wrestler to go you know it's nobody's fault that they get a break you know it's nobody's fault that you're born to be so-and-so's son or daughter or whatever i would have loved to you know i love my father but as far as wrestling you know, like Jake the Snake has two six foot four twin boys that never wanted to have anything to do with pro wrestling. Is that right, Mochi? Yeah. And, um, you know, and I remember saying, to them, well, why don't you just get in and get out? If you don't love it, you know, you're the twin boys of a, of a Hall of Famer and a top end Hall of Famer at that, right? And um, why wouldn't you? You know, like I would have killed for some lineage like that or whatever. But, Isn't it uh, like Cody Hall, though, too? You know, except Cody got into the business, but he just didn't care. Well, know? I think sometimes when, if guys and girls, if they care, they don't care, then that's sort of, it's on them and it's usually evident. Like fans aren't dumb. I like, I'll joke and use the word Mark here or there, but I, in, in all seriousness, I don't like that word. I find it to be a derogatory word. Um, like I'll call myself a Mark for something. Like if I saw like, uh, what did I see? Uh, one of my buddies got married. One of my wrestling pals got married. And I wrote like, I'm happily ever after Mark. I wrote that in the comment section of my buddy's post. You know, I'll, I use the, I use the word just in a silly way. 
but I don't talk about fans as marks. Like they're hardworking, awesome people that it is our privilege to entertain. So, you know, whether it's with a dive or, you know, stuffing worms in somebody's mouth or, you know, spinning a pancake or a pizza or whatever, or wearing face paint or whatever, or doing this really cool maneuver or this awesome flip, whatever the fuck it is, it's our privilege to put smiles on faces. All those people that bought a ticket, those baristas, those factory workers, those first responders, those uh, single moms, uh, those doctors, those lawyers, uh, maybe not the lawyers, but the truck drivers and the, you know, the whoever, um, like those are the people that make the world go round. You know, we're just here play fighting in spandex to put smiles on faces. So, you know, I think it's important to um, be good to each other. And then, and like, again, I, we're not curing cancer by pro wrestling, but we are putting smiles on the faces of the people that are. That's how I kind of look at it. And it's beautiful. But so you talked about Jake. Yeah. And what has he meant for just not even just your career, but your personal life? Because it goes further than just between the ropes. Sure, absolutely. Uh, Career-wise, that is probably the most minuscule part of, of my relationship with Jake. So when I was a kid, uh, he was definitely my idol, still is. And I remember trying to keep pin our eyes open to stay open at late at night uh, as little kids watching Sirens Main Event. And I remember sitting on the couch in our hometown of Orangeville watching me and Edge and Christian watching uh, Jake the Snake DDT steamboat on the concrete. And those two little nerds started crying like babies. And I was just like, man, I want to be the guy giving the DDT, not the, <laughs> not the dude getting the DDT. And so I, and, and as, as an artsy fartsy guy, I just, you know, some wrestlers were amusing, some wrestlers were dorky, some wrestlers were this, some wrestlers were that. There was very few that really scared me, like, you know, maybe the Road Warriors, the Wild Samoans and stuff like that. But Jake was the only one that in, in, in my little child's mind, um, I was just like, I wonder where he goes after the wrestling show. Like, I was so young that, that I wouldn't have even thought about whatever the heck he was really up to. I would have just think he was in some sinister lair somewhere, like fucking Skeletor or something. Um, not out partying or anything. I would have just thought he would be at some, you know, some evil villain. Like a crypt. Legion, legion, yeah, some Legion of Doom super friends kind of hideout plotting evil things to do to planet Earth because he's that much of a diabolical villain, you know. Hogan comes over to his house. It's not hot. Yes, yes. <laughs> 100%. 100%. And so, I, long story short, I... I know grew up and started wrestling and jake uh was one of the one of the guys that i got to wrestle early in my career i wrestled him in england we did not get along uh i, I wanted to get along with him i knew he i mean he's my favorite guy but he was he was, was pretty that at the him. height of his demons or maybe maybe and i just and i didn't know him i was just some guy to him you know and uh like we were in england and he was I just, I knew I had heard these horror stories, but I, and I knew don't aspire to meet your heroes, but I wanted to meet him anyway. Like as soon as the promoter told me I was going to wrestle him, I was like a kid in a candy store. This is awesome. So a couple nights before I'm wrestling in a singles match against Nigel McGinnis and we figured out to do this spot. And it was my, it was my own stupid idea. Pardon me. Um, and where he was going to kind of give me this Alabama slam from the turnbuckle, like while I was up on the turnbuckle. It's so like an avalanche, Usually, Alabama slam. Like he's got my legs kind of teabagged around his neck and I'm backwards over his shoulders. He's going to flip me over my his back yeah. and I'm going to take a, a bump in front of him. And I, But I'm mm -hmm. behind him holding onto the ropes and the turnbuckles. So he's I, thought, the I thought you were talking like it was an avalanche 
where he's like no, on the turnbuckle. No, like I, think I was going to say Jesus. My, he had caught my legs like in an up and over or something and then turned it around. So he's facing internal, internally the ring, like buckle to buckle. Like, so if, if this screen that you're looking at me on is the ring, like mm-hmm. we're here in this buckle and he's looking at that buckle okay. and he's holding me like this and he's just going to flip me over in the middle of the, the ring. But my, and my hands were on these turnbuckles here. And I just said, hey, one, when you feel my hands go from the ropes to your back, be my guest, do what you want to do. And I, I just got my hands weird or something. So I didn't get the right positioning. And when I came down, I snapped my, I kind of landed on my ass, which snapped my neck to the ground and I hit my back of my head and I was out. Like I was in La La Land. I think I was out for a few minutes and they called a, an ambulance. And I, I literally woke up hearing that wee you, wee you, like the, that you that UK ambulance sound that you hear in every Matt Bourne fucking movie. Wow. And, uh, yeah. And I woke up in eyeliner and these very creepy Brutus the Beefcake kind of half sheer spider webby thick skinny pants in an ambulance on the wrong side of the road heading to an, uh, a hospital in England. And um, I my concept of time was gone. Like I thought seconds were gone. I didn't know what was going on. And uh, as they were letting me out of the the hospital, I'm shirtless in a pair of really bizarre spandex pants and i remember this little kid and i walked into the the, the lobby uh so to get to get out and there was this little kid like he just sounded looked like a little oliver twist like are you a wrestler and he couldn't have been like up to my you know he was barely up to my waist and all the people in the in the the, the waiting room were looking at me like i'm satan or something because i was so bizarre looking to them like a fucking alien or something and and I said, yes, I am, young man. And he goes, did you win tonight? And I, and I looked, and everybody's just, you could hear a bug fart, like silence. And I go, not tonight, kid. And everybody just fucking erupted laughing. And um, so anyway, that was just a little side bit of the whole bullshit. But so I bugging the the guy that was driving, that was waiting for me uh, to get me, get me back to the show. I got to get back to the show. I got to finish the show. And he's like, mate, the show's been over for hours. Like, I don't know what's wrong with you. But I was like, I was concussed and I didn't know I was out to lunch. And, and the promoter was telling me that I probably wasn't going to get to wrestle Jake a couple of days later because I was concussed. So I, I made the, I begged the guy that was driving me to tell it, not to tell the, the promoter that I was concussed because I wasn't going to be damned if I wasn't going to wrestle Jake the Snake. And so he did. He kayfabe for me. And then sure enough, a couple of days later, I wrestled Jake and, and it was a lot of fun. But, uh, in the locker room, I, when I had met Jake, I had gone up and said, Mr. Roberts, it's nice to meet you, sir. And he just looked at me. He's like, how do you fucking know if it's nice to meet me? You don't know a fucking thing about me. And he walked away. And I just thought, this motherfucker. And I was like, I, again, I was ready to like, you know, meet, you know, thinking, yeah, 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 meet your heroes, blah, blah, blah. And then I thought, son of a gun. That's why they say that, you know? And so I was just a little bit bent. And I, I in the locker room and... I was lacing up my boots like I was going to battle and Jake was watching me do this. And he was just teasing me the whole time. He's like, brother, don't you know, this is a work brother. What are you getting all these stuff for? Like you're going into battle brother, brother, brother. And then uh, the promoter came walking in and said, all right, Cinna, you're going to work Jake tonight. And I just looked at Jake kind of with a bit of a half smile. And Jake's like, all right, easy kid. I just fucking around, you know, da, 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 da. and, uh, and then we did it. We had a match and we hit it off and we had a, a wonderful time and it was great. And I think the fans were, really liked it and it was, uh, it was cool. And, um, 
another little side side story, like the little little kid in the waiting room was I wasn't worried about getting dumped on my neck. I wasn't worried about my concussion. I wasn't worried about any of that. I was worried about not screwing up the DET. I didn't want to piss him off and do it wrong. So we didn't talk about anything about the match, but he was adamant to explain how to take the DDT. So I listened to how we, how we wanted it. And when it came time in the match, here we go for that DDT. So I did it exactly how he wanted it. And through that match, I didn't feel anything. It was one of the smoothest, lightest matches I had ever been in in my life. Then... As I'm laying there, kind of dead selling this DDT, um, not that these guys, now, nowadays, everybody just, the DDT is kind of a transition, but when six foot six Hall of Famer DDTs you, you lay down dead. And so I'm laying there. He knows I can't move as far as, you know, the work of it and all. And, um, and then he's got like, I've got like this soft, fl fluffy beard. If I was to shave, I've got like the little high school, uh, you know, stubble. Jake's got that like 1980s, like man, steel wool, five o'clock shadow that could, he could rub the fucking paint off the side of a car if he rubbed his cheek on a, on a door. Like he's got that kind of stubble, you know? And so I'm laying there dead selling and he rubs his stubble across my nipple knowing I can't move. Oh my God. I felt like I was Ricky Bobby on invisible fucking fire and I can't sell anything. And also he had just, and from there, Jake went from creepy, sinister Jake the steak. And he sounded like Beavis and Butthead. Like he just like, he <laughs> <laughs> just could hear him giggling. Like he knew I couldn't move. And oh man, that lit me up. It was, it felt like, yeah, it was terrible. And so there was my first uh, Jake story, but uh, no, um, I know we super got way off topic. I guess we just went all over the darn place, but long story short, uh, Jake is, is one of my best pals. He's the older brother I never had. I've got plenty of younger brothers, like Edge and Christian and my own little brother. Um, but, uh, Jake is a half a handful of guys that, that I, I love as much as my own flesh and blood brother. Um, Jake officiated my wedding. Jake, uh, you know, during the pandemic, always checked on me, make sure, you know, I was okay. Um, I make those little LJN toys and he orders so many of those things that really kind of kept me afloat during the pandemic when, you know, wasn't making any wrestling money and so forth, so forth. And, and even back in the day when I got divorced from my first wife, he called me every single day, make sure I was all right. If I needed anything, like he's just, he's literally the, you hear the term said to death these days, but he is literally a good brother. And good how excited for you are you, or for him are you just where he's at in this career renaissance he has with Lance Archer uh, in the AEW? I mean, the first time I think it that doesn't he make sense for Jake to be with Cody. anybody. Yeah, it doesn't make sense for Jake to be with anybody else at AEW except for Lance Archer because they're approximately the same height. Like he would make the toughest protege look like Gary Coleman if he stood next to him, which is not going to be overly ominous because he's six six, six seven, you know. So like, you know, I'm a big scary guy when I get all clown clown planted up or whatever. But if Jake walked me out to the ring, I'd look like a dork because I'm six one. And that I'm going to look like Hornswoggle next to Jake, you know, like, I mean, I would walk into rooms with Jake and, and Scott Hall, rest his soul and DDP. And I felt like a fucking munchkin, you know, right. Mochi, you have to put your face right there. Don't you? Yeah. And, and uh, how, how much do you think DDP for DDP is awesome. I will say I, I joke, I've joked with DDP. I'm like, yeah, you're an okay wrestler, bro, but you are the Jesus Christ of pro wrestling, saving a lot of guys. And he would just laugh. He's like, ah, thanks bro. You know, um, and I do think he's an awesome person. I just joke it. Uh, but I think Dallas has so much more patience and so much more kindness and so much more energy and so much more smarts than so many humans, wrestler or otherwise. That I mean, like, 
If I saw his name on a ballot, red or blue, I'd vote for it. And I feel like that's a kind, strong, empathetic, caring, patient person. What what more do you need from a human being? Dude, I mean, like, I love Jake, but I've never, like, you know, we've we've bunked on the road and stuff, but I've never been, like, Jake's roommate. I just thought I think that would be our undoing, you know? But for DDP to let Jake into his house and, and, you know, wrestle with his, like, pardon the pun, but wrestle with his demons under his roof, you know, all that stuff. I mean, that just speaks to the man. I mean, like, just, you know, you can hear people, and again, I'm not, a, I don't want to talk about politics or nothing, but like, on both sides of all this virtue signaling, me too, all these different things, put your fucking money where your mouth is. You know, if you believe in this, the, the, you don't have to force everybody else to do something. Why don't you do it? If you want to donate your money to this, that, or the other thing, you can do it. So instead of Dallas just saying, well, we should help people, instead of just virtue signaling like that, you know what he does? He actually fucking helps people. Like he puts his money where his mouth is. I think that is some manly man baller shit. And when I say manly man, I mean the best of men, the best of women, the best of everything in between, the best of humanity is what, when I say manly man, that's what I'm thinking. He's just the best of humanity is what I mean. And he is absolutely a great example. So he's, of the best of he's Bret Hart of humanity. <laughs> I'm not sure I follow that equation, but the best there is, the best, best there, is, the best there was, okay, and the best okay. there ever will be. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, yes. Uh, yes. Well, I'll go with that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, M MLK, Dalai Lama, DDP. <laughs> yeah. It's initialisms. They get you over, brother. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So so you talk about just a little bit more, because I know Dan is waiting in the wings here, the LJN toys. Everyone knows what they are, but you're okay. the man. Uh-oh. Um, what do you want to know? <laughs> what do you want to know about it? Like uh, elevator pitch that to people who don't know what LJN is? What, what do you want? What are you asking of me? Well, I don't yeah, think it. Do you want me to just take this over? <laughs> take it, brother. All right. Um, well, I think with most people, especially with like what's the craze of the wrestling, uh, especially wrestling figures, the last three or four years, um, uh, I think the the majority of people should know the history of the LJN line. They were the original WWF line back in the eighties and, and before Hasbro took them over and. Not there, there's a bunch 90. behind me you that's that's where they are for anybody that doesn't know that's listening or watching or what have you. um so my question is is how did you um how did that kind of come to you and saying that you kind of did you want to rebirth them or was it more or less a uh just something of like oh this would be cool to kind of get this going again so going back to the same little house in orangeville where me and edge and christian would kind of uh congregate to watch chinese main event I uh, was at our friend Sean's place, just another little kid that loved wrestling in, in our town. And we would all sort of argue over booking the cards of these LJNs that we had. And, and we say, oh, you, you know, we should put Iron Sheik over because, you know, he's got the pose where he could do the most cool moves or this guy or that guy. And I, as much as I love Jake, I always jobbed him out because I'm like, how can you DDT somebody when you're built like this, you know? Not sure, and yeah. We're asking him, like, what were you thinking when they let a toy come out? You like, this is like, brother, I didn't fucking do it. Brother, that's the fucking marketing guy, brother. And uh, so we would argue about the, you know, these cars and we'd play with these toys and Edge would get so mad at me and Christian if we scoffed his, scoffed his uh, Hulk Hogan toy because he was the biggest Hulk Hogan mark. So as soon as Edge would walk out of the room to go get a cup of water or something, me and Jay, me and Christian would clang Hulk Hogan against whatever <laughs> as hard as we could. 
And uh, so we just we just love those things. If you're an 80s kid, that was like your toy of choice. You, you know, you had your your LJNs and your He-Mans and your G.I. Joes and your Transformers. And that was about it for the most part, for the most part. And so, like, I think, you know, a lot of these action figures these days, they're 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 way more intricate and all this kind of stuff. But this these rubber toys, these wrestler toys were just sort of the gateway to our nostalgia. So um, we all had those collections like Edge still has his collection to this day. And I had mine stolen out of my parents' garage when I was you know, maybe in my early 20s. Oh, that's or something. awful. Yeah, pissed me off. And then <laughs> so year, years later, I just, I was doing okay for myself. And I thought, all right, I'm going to dip into eBay and I'm going to collect these things. And so I collected them. And then I kind of, I stumbled across some customs. I wouldn't have, I don't think I'd ever would have thought to customize these things. I just was like collecting them. And I saw these customs and I kind of thought, I think I could do that. You know, I was always an artsy fartsy guy, whether it was drawing or sculpting or painting or tattoos or whatever. Um, so I bought some, what they call like beaters, like some beat up ones that you could right. kind of, you, you, had the, you didn't, you didn't mind chopping up and carving up and doing whatever, kind of playing Mr. Potato Head with, and, you know, putting different arms and heads and, you know, adding different, like, you know, epoxy on Dr. Frankenstein and, a little bit. Yeah. And so I dabbled in it for 10 seconds and then I kind of put it down because my wrestling schedule just got to be too crazy. And then when the pandemic hit, I kind of thought, yeah, two weeks to flatten the curve of my ass. I just, <laughs> my, my spidey sense, you know, as, as a worker, not as a sports entertainer or a wrestler, but as a, as a worker, I just kind of thought bullshit. So I just wanted to be as liquid as possible. So I sold my LJN set just to have as much cash on hand and, and uh, I had so many people messaging me, like, we're heartbroken that, you know, a guy had to sell his toys or whatever. They're like, oh, bro, that sucks. And and I just, for shits and giggles, I looked in the garage to see how many of these little extra beaters did I over collect when I was going to customize like a decade right. ago and just didn't. And sure enough, I had bin after bin of these beaters, like nothing of value, just the, you know, the, the cheapy ones that were all half torn up and this and that. And then uh, in the pandemic, I just started kind of, I just kind of, dabbled back into that hobby just to not drive myself crazy it was that and doing the snake pit which is sort of our online wrestling hub where you know before this before the pandemic the snake pit was just our wrestling school private page where we you know we're going to do ring crew tonight we're new uh you know what time classes are going to be when we're going to flyer when we're going to do this and do that and then at the beginning of the pandemic myself uh dr tom rock riddle uh, al snow gangrel tyson dukes uh truth martini a bunch of other bunch of other guys and girls uh angel williams uh, uh angelina love um we all got together and thought how can we you know distract these guys that are stuck in their houses or apartments or little shoebox apartments by themselves you know we can you know give them q and a's match breakdowns so we could teach them correct stuff because there's so much incorrect stuff on the indies. So we're not know-it-alls, but I mean, between the guys that I just mentioned, we know a lot, humbly. And so we thought, well, we could give them the right info and we can distract them while we're all rats in cages during God knows what this pandemic is gonna be or how long it's gonna be. And um, so it was the, the online stuff, the Facebook Live, like we didn't know, me and Al Snow and Gangrel, we didn't know what a Facebook Live was before the pandemic. Right. So it was, it was that and the customizing that kind of kept me busy. And on a side note, I swear, like it's, it's more valuable spiritually to me than any title belt or wrestling any big superstar. Um, when I get to a show in the middle of nowhere and just some young person, some young wrestler that I don't know 
comes up to me and says, hey, coach, thanks for the snake pit stuff during the pandemic. It kept me sane. I get that just about every week, which is the most awesome, flattering, rewarding thing, I think, in all of my career. And I've been in, been in locker rooms and in rings with some of the absolute best. And I tell you, just seeing the young guys and girls be appreciative of that stuff is just the absolute. And I, I suck at taking compliments to Like, I appreciate it as much as anybody. The young guys be like, oh, coach, that's really awesome. And I'm like, I feel like Ricky Bobby. I don't know what to do with my hands. I'm like, uh, thanks. You know? <laughs> so I probably sound pretty awkward when I, when I take the compliment, but I do truly appreciate the compliment. And so anyway, so, but going back to the LJNs, I, uh, I just kind of kept myself sane doing that. And then uh, I, I post pictures of it online just to, for shits and giggles. And then people will be like, Hey, that's pretty cool. Could I buy that? I say yeah sure why not and then it just sort of that hobby kind of turned into a side hustle and now i do pretty good by these things so and i got another 3d printing which makes it a little bit easier lets my create created my creativity kind of have no bounds you know like when you're chopping up these old rubber wrestlers you're constricted by maybe size or whatever like this guy's legs right. would look cool with this other guy's body but the body is just too big so it doesn't work right or whatever but now on 3d i can mirror image enlarge shrink add to take away from in, in a in a much more creative uh, creatively uh open fashion so that's where i kind of tend to do more of the stuff these days what was your favorite ljn as a kid oh boy uh maybe maybe macho man i think everybody really liked the sergeant slaughter because he was so elusive he was hard to get oh the glue one yeah yeah, but as far as the regular ones, I think I probably lost my mind the most over seeing the Macho Man one because some of them weren't very good. Like no. some of them were really kind of shitty. But no. again, it was just it was more of a nostalgia thing. Like there's you didn't care about it. Yeah, you just were like, oh man, that's so and so. Oh man, that's how they made this guy. How they made that guy. Oh, why haven't they made this guy? And you'd have those little debates with your little friends and do all that kind of stuff. And I remember bugging the shit out of my old man would go into a store and I'd see a couple that I didn't know were new, you know, like you and I mean internet. So we didn't know what was coming out. Right. Whatever. You just, you just have to walk into the little toy shop and hope for the best. And holy shit, there's new ones. Oh my God, there's Paul Orndorff and there's uh Rudy's beefcake and there's Ben King on Bundy and all this stuff. Weirdly wrestling. Some of those guys later in life is absolutely still is surreal to this day. Like it's funny. Like I'll get, I'll have random text messages or calls from whoever and uh and my wife will just look at me she's like it's never not weird like she's like i'm on the phone like i can't not answer the phone if i'm if i'm in the in if i'm in the pooper if i'm in the office and jimmy hart calls me i'm not going to not answer the phone just because i'm dropping <laughs> the kids off at the pool i'm gonna be like hey jimmy hart what's up or hey kevin sullivan what's up or hey road dog or hey whoever the heck i'm talking to or texting with and my wife's like what are you doing in there what are you doing in the bathroom i'm like talking to jimmy hart or talking to kevin sullivan or talking to whoever texting so-and-so or whatever she's just like yeah that's not weird at all so it's i guess my life is just uh i'm a giant child and i get just uh my life is a perpetual recess and that's pretty cool can't really complain about that so do you uh so, i was just going to ask a question dan if you don't mind no that's so with your your we're not going to talk about your i don't mind wife. if dan doesn't mind Oh. Uh, sorry um, but we're not going to talk about your first wife but obviously she was in the business sure and is your second wife involved in the business at all so uh, she okay so when I met Karen my wife now my 
proper wife, my current my forever wife. Um, she is a she was and is a, a singer. And I met her on a, a crazy Vegas underground show where she was singing like in like a like a death metal band. She again, she's got she's like almost like a like a singing snob, just like you know a wrestling snob could really an, be analytical of pro wrestling or whatever. And like she could sing like she could go from death metal to opera to this sweet you know stuff to right back to you know screaming or brains out whatever like she's got the like the vocal chops as a, like a singer singer like she's a really really good singer and so she was used to promoting and this and that as far as like self-promotion for her band and all that kind of stuff so soon in her relationship she was helping me uh produce freak show wrestling so she really donned the mantle of co-producer you know i was the creator of freak show wrestling and she really was behind the scenes really kind of a thankless job to be honest um, you know, she would help me do all this stuff. Like, I think every promoter, every, especially when the promoter is a former wrestler, like I'm I still a wrestler, but whether you're a wrestler, former wrestler, whatever, you usually lean on some, you know, right-hand man to do, just do a lot of stuff you don't want to do. And it, it sort of frees you up to be creative and really to be a giant child, to be honest. You know, you get to think about the booking and the finishes and all these kind of things, as opposed to the insurance and the advertising and the, you know, the payroll and all the real life stuff that would give me a freaking heart attack so karen would do all the business and then backstage she was always uh heading up wardrobe and makeup because in freak show wrestling it wasn't just like uh sammy zane showing up to wrestle uh paul london it would be monkey versus a banana the vampire versus the robot this guy versus that was superhero battle royal christmas battle royal and so we'd have all these costumes and it was really quite bizarre and acid trippy so karen would be making sure to put everybody in the right costumes and then I would run around and kind of agent the stuff. Hey, look, you're going to be a monkey. You're going to fight a banana. I want you to slip on a banana peel. I want you to fling poop and hump the ring post and climb the thing with Fay Ray over your shoulder and we'll throw paper airplanes at you and you could take a bump off the top rope like it's the Empire State Building. So like I would do the, the storytelling and the agenting, the producing, and Karen would do just about everything else. So she was and is, uh, you know, to this day, like she kind of, she handles all the, the business for our household and stuff. I am still... The giant child i am playing with toys for a living and when i'm playing with toys and i'm playing with real wrestlers or i'm playing with toys of wrestlers you know alleged allegedly playing they're really just sitting on my shelf and i look at them allegedly but yeah allegedly is, allegedly but she does all this stuff I actually weirdly i have it right here so here's show you these this these were our wedding toppers that, that i made of me and my wife of these ljns so of course i put myself on a program for that i've never looked that good in my life look at those hands yeah that's what i'm talking about right and uh so, you know yeah, what they say about big hands that's right Hell yeah that's right big gloves <laughs> and, uh, and uh yeah no she is just just the best person i know she's my best friend you know she's funny she's sexy she's smart she's kind she's loyal she's feisty she is absolutely again to use an old reference she is the chicken hawk to my foghorn leghorn so when I am turning uh, the other cheek, trying to be an accommodating, easygoing, passive Canadian, she's the one that's no, see, since not doing this, yeah, he ain't putting up, he ain't putting up with this, see, like she's the one that's sort of, is like my agent, you know, making sure I don't get took so bad, and all that. Kind and of I, 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 I say, I say, I say, that's a good way to put your wife over. I say. That's right. <laughs> yeah, 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 yes, 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 hundred percent. Again, two words for you. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. <laughs> So that um, we were talking with Shocker this past oh. week. 
Uh-oh, about yeah. supernatural wrestlers and you run freak show wrestling. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So he was telling us a story about a very infamous match. Yeah, and then involved... wrestling, you're gonna have to be you're gonna have to uh, be specific because I think all the matches were infamous matches. But I think I know where you're going. But I'll let you lead this dance. Your show, one stepping on your job. You involved you a Gadolf Hitler. Oh, uh, but we got to talk about that these days in the land of, of of everybody being so sensitive and everybody's so triggered. You know what triggers me is the word triggered. But yeah, okay, all right, go ahead. All right, you started it. Be my guest. How does something like that, because I know his side of the story, but how does something like that happen? It was, that character was played by a comedian in uh, L.A. who was just the funny, one of the funniest, most ballsiest dudes ever. And again, you know, different times, you know, you know, stuff is funny at different times. Stuff runs its course, just like styles and trends. You know, bell bottoms are cool until they're not. You know, again, in different eras and different times, um, we found it funny at the time. I, I still find it funny, but I just think in nowadays where humor is pretty much illegal, you know, somebody's going to be upset about something. I, I think if I went on the, you know, if I tweeted right now, hey, everybody, love each other, um, you know, whatever race or religion or political affiliation you are just just be kind to each other somebody would call me a name for being oh he comes in peace kill him you know like it would be I think somebody would find something to get upset about you know so uh, that character was made to take a piss on not thinking for yourself not uh yeah how can I just, how, I'm just trying to think of a, a nice way to kind of put it. Like an uh, attack on conformity? An attack on conformity, but a, an attack on fascism, an attack on forcing people to do stuff. Um, it, it was to really to, 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 if Hitler's ghost is floating around this universe at all, it was to slap him in the face for being such a see you next Tuesday. You know, it was, it's just to, you know, it's to piss in the face of fascism and, 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 and to put over free speech. You know, so it's punk over, rock. Yeah, basically. Basically. I, I think that character would get so misconstrued these days, you know, so I, I haven't produced that character. In fact, I kind of laid that character to rest many years ago. Um, but he was the funnest, most over character. Like, everybody loved it. Like, he was meant to be a one-off heel. He was meant to be a one-night-only heel. And he just got over so well. It was, it was almost like the acid trip upside down world version of stone cold like even when stone cold started he's a bad guy but they just liked him he could do no wrong and whatever he did no matter how much he cheated they loved him and if they like him he's a good guy you know that's the the kind of rule of pro wrestling you know um they pushed honky tonk man to the moon as a baby face when he first arrived at wwf fans were buying it so guess what he's a heel and that's kind of how how the stone cold route was the way that character went people just loved him and they just lined up to take photos with them. And I swear, like, I swear, like uh, boogeyman was there on that night. Uh, Crime time was there. Shad rest his soul. They were all there and they just couldn't wait to take photos with this fucking character. It just made me laugh. I'm like, all right, whatever. And uh, yeah, it just was, he was an anomaly and it was just, everybody enjoyed to, to chant and boo and cheer and do all the stuff that he was doing. So there you go. And, uh, and, and, and also, too, and, and that character was also built, built on 
having an open mind to kind of, again, kick in the kick, kick. It's a kick in the face of people who are obtuse and close minded and didn't want to, you know, didn't want to think out of the box. I think, you know, daring to be different, dare to get comfortable with getting uncomfortable and getting out of your comfort zone and having a, having a laugh, a tongue in cheek laugh. Like Jake would always say, man, I watch half this stuff. And it's like, I feel bad that I'm laughing at it, but I'm laughing at it. You know, like that's what it's meant for. It's meant to make you giggle. Like when you see some silly stuff, you know, in a Will Ferrell movie or in like one of those hangover movies, what's that, what's whatever that dude's name is, the, the Wolfpack guy, what's his freaking name? Zach Galifianakis. Thank you. You know, just some of the stuff that he has said in some of his movies, it just curls your toes, you know, but you have to laugh at it. Like when he's, I don't, what movie was he sitting at the dinner table telling his kids, hey, if you did anything wrong, you could always tell me and it'll be okay. And these kids start saying the most ridiculous, heinous, bizarre things. And Zach Galifianakis is trying not to sell it. You know, well, okay. Or where'd you hear that? You know, what, you know, it just, that's what Freak Show was, just to make you laugh is really the, the deal. And now so, you you were close with uh, the amazing Jonathan. Sure was. amazing comedian or magician. Um, but He's uh, a magician. He's a magician. I, I You know, I, I botched. I'm sorry. No, that's he would always say it was one of his little lines. He's like, I'm a magician. Yeah. But Which he was not. He, he I mean, he was an awesome magician, but he was being a comedian when he would tell you yeah. he was a magician. But yes, yes, yes. We were we we're, we were pals, and I and I I miss him. Yeah. How how big is his loss in Freak Show felt? I mean, because he was a great act. Oh, he is awesome. I often refer to him as the Jake the Snake of comedy, because you know in. In martial arts so before i was a wrestler like I, i'm a 23 year in pro wrestler i'm 41 years in martial arts so i grew up as a martial arts brat i just grew up loving pro wrestling my it was the family business when i was growing up and so one of my idols was bruce lee and i love jackie chan too but bruce lee was my guy but like i kind of look at jake and jonathan as uh it's sort of like jackie chan and bruce lee like they're both equally as badass but one was funny and one was serious and my dog's trying to like cock block all my screen time here she's trying to get over yeah that's right that's right and dogs um, are always over dude they're always over yeah I, she always over nothing. she is super over is aren't you much aren't you baby and um so yeah jonathan was just like you can't get anything by jake like he is just so slick and jonathan is the same way like jonathan is the guy that would you know help uh create magic tricks for chris angel and for copperfield and and just a nice kind funny dude like we would always it would always be jonathan's house in vegas that we would congregate at for little pool parties or we would play a water body uh water volleyball or we'd have barbecues or whatever it was always jonathan's place because he had the big mansion and we just had the you know smaller place oh, she's gonna get hot. I'm gonna play. and um when i move around i can hear like oh, what are you doing she's gonna get hot she's gonna go into business for herself yeah well it's, again she goes from zero to hero quick because that head trauma from when when she was first uh, works herself into a shoot. Yeah, before before we before we rescued her. So, so yeah, she kind of she's got that she's got that Ablandula Maglada. Uh, what, ab, What's wrong with your Abdullah? Yeah, my my Ablang. Wait, now I'm gonna screw it up. My Medula Ablangada. Her Medula. What's wrong with his Medula Ablangada? Yes, yeah, because she's got all them teeth and no toothbrush. Yeah, that's the deal. <laughs> that's right. 
Wow, yeah, Crocodiles Jonathan, so ornery. Yes, yeah, that's her, totally. So Jonathan was just a sweet guy, a generous guy, funny guy. And um, yeah, he, he would do appearances on Freak Show and not really more than anything, just, just a good, just a, just a friend of the show. Like we did this thing where he was, and he's such a genius creatively. So anytime he liked something, I just took that as such a pat on the back, such a compliment. Like the one thing, and I think it's online somewhere. I'm pretty sure it is. Where at Freak Show, we did this thing where I was in an inner demons match. It was basically me versus me. Uh, so I had one of Rikishi's students dress up as me and with the long hair and the top hat and the bunny boots and the butcher's apron and all that stuff. And so, of course, to have the weirdest guy in pro wrestling versus the weirdest guy in pro wrestling, we had Kevin Sullivan as the evilest guy in pro wrestling be the guest referee. And Jonathan just thought that was the funniest, coolest uh, bit. So for me to entertain Jonathan, I'll definitely take that as a feather in my cap. You know, I don't wear caps, but metaphorically, you know. And uh, just a good dude. And uh, he was invited to our wedding, and, and he, was, he was, okay, I'll try to make it. We knew he was very ill. And then the day after my wedding, he decides to leave planet Earth. Like, I mean, if you're ever going to have a good excuse to not show up to somebody's wedding, I mean, Jonathan figured it out. So the, which was Shocker's birthday. And so not a few days later, we, uh, we all got together and did a, a giant kind of comedy party that was AJ's funeral, his memorial thing. Like he refused to have any of us be upset. He said, you guys, his, his will was like, you will all do silly stuff in front of an audience and praise me. <laughs> you, you will, you will, uh, you know, you will honor me with the performance. And that's what we did. And it, it's online. It's, it's on there somewhere and stuff. So, and I was very happy to be there. I got to be mean to Chris Angel. I got to giggle with uh, Carrot Top and Shocker and Kevin Lapine and Bizarro and, and, uh, and AJ's beautiful wife, Anna. So it was absolutely my pleasure to, to, be involved in Jonathan's funeral party. So yes, that makes any sense whatsoever. It does. And I feel like you definitely, I mean, for a lot of the listeners here, uh, they would most recognize you and we haven't even talked about it. I feel bad. Um, but you were in WWE for, for a good time. You know, we did talk about your OVVW days, but obviously I, 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 co I coach there at WWE sporadically. Like I'm a, I'm a guest coach. Um, I go there once, once in a while and it's awesome to go there. I think I definitely had more fun coaching there than I did have performing there. Having said that I would perform there in a heartbeat if they, you know, I'm, I'm not old, but I'm not young either. And I, I humbly will say right now, I think I could go with just about anybody. Um, I'd say I'm better than anybody, but I could hang with anybody, but uh, WWE liked their talent younger, whereas that's why I popped up on AEW for for a minute because I think they kind of are right across the board a little bit more open-minded for just all shapes and sizes, different young, old, and everything in between. And um, but coaching there has been super rewarding. I think it's just it's awesome. Like every time I go there, my wife just looks at me like she knows she's you're a kid going to Toys R Us for the week. You realize this? And I go, yes, I am. Yes. Would you be a coach in AEW if they asked? Uh, yeah, I sure would. I think uh, a lot of the guys and girls there are, you know, and just like the same as like uh, across the Indies, there's there's a lot of wonderful talent, but there's not a lot of guys and girls that have uh, 
the reps or the, the, the wisdom or just, or, and, and the time again, just being in that unicorn age of like wrestling with guys that, you know, you were led by off the fly. And those eighties dudes just had tricks for days where nowadays some of the best of the best are just too young to have ever, you know, they were in middle school at best when some of those guys were running rampant on planet earth, you know? So I've been in the ring with those dudes. I, you know, by osmosis, been given a lot of their 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 tricks like this is what the rock and roll express were like this is what the steiner brothers were like this is what jerry lawler is like this is what king of bunny is like this is what jake is like this is what so and 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 so forth is like like i've been in the ring with legends you know and then again i'm still young enough where i can wrestle with the 21 year old dudes and so forth so i think as a coach being a hands-on coach is paramount because a lot of the coaches at both companies maybe can't be too hands-on due to injuries, due to age and so forth. So I think I'm in that really precarious age. And then also too, no disrespect to any wrestler, but some of the guys that are maybe in my age that could physically get down with young talent are, they probably need a chaperone, you know, cause they're crazy and they're going to get themselves in hot water if left to their own devices in 10 seconds where I'm crazy in the ring, you know, in a, in a, in a professional way, but, but me outside of the ring, me backstage, me at a hotel, me at a, on the road, me at a restaurant, zero problems. You know, I'm never going to, I don't know, do anything awful to, uh, or embarrass the company. I'm not going to, I'm not going to get a DUI. I'm not going to kill a hooker. I'm not going to, you know, do all these crazy things that, you know, wrestlers have, you know, done in the past. I'm not making light of anything too. That's, I didn't mean that as a joke. I mean, that as like for real. Like I take, I take my fun very seriously and, you know, I've got feelings and, and an ego as much as anybody, but anytime I ever feel annoyed or pissed off, I really try to take the higher ground. I really try to think about, okay, how do I communicate with this person? Strong cookie. She's getting so mad that I've got mochi in my lap and she's in the kitchen behind her little baby gate. She's like, you MF her, you're petting that dog. You're not petting me. You son of a gun. And you're talking about trying to take the higher ground as a coach. Meanwhile, you're petting the one dog. You're not petting me. You bastard. Sorry, Cookie. I'll pet you when I get off this uh, podcast. And so anyway, so I think being able to communicate with young, the younger wrestlers and explain things to them and show them stuff and physically, as we would say, touch. Like to, for two wrestlers to, to wrestle, we would say, oh, they, they've touched before or we haven't touched yet. So you know, when wrestlers are, are, you know, studying tape or whatever, they're watching whatever matches that they like and they're trying to break it down like, you know, like a, a football player studying game tape. Like you can watch the Rockers versus uh, the Brain Busters. You can see it with your eyes and process it. You can hear it with your ears and process it. You can't touch it and feel how tight, how loose, all these different things, you know, so that's kind of what I bring to the table and I can explain character stuff and nuances and and again, I, you know, I'm a professional and I'm a nice person and I wouldn't hurt a fly, but I grew up in a time when you knock shoulders in a bar, you fought. So I understand I was a bodyguard, I was a bouncer, I did all sorts of, I was a tournament fighter before a pro wrestler. So I know what a real knuckle sandwich can do. So I was teaching the younger guys and girls the nuances and the, the dangers of the combat side of this sport. You know, like, again, if you grab a hammerlock and you don't make it look like anything, then the fans don't think it's anything. The hammerlock can turn from a fluffy work to a diabolical shoot lickety split if you know what you're doing. So if you, in a working fashion, make it look like it means something, that's how the fans will perceive it. If you throw it away, the fans, that's, they'll throw it away too. 
Like I see guys all the time. They lock up, they grab a headlock, they grab a hammer lock, they grab a headlock, and then they shoot each other off. Like it's not that easy in real life. Like that doesn't happen in a bar fight. That doesn't happen in a collegiate amateur match. That doesn't happen in a MMA octagon. You know, the guys are clinching and it's tight and 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 it's sandpaper rough, as we would say. And there's just a whole ton of devil in the details. It's not just pass by. Like, I don't mind a pass by, but I want to look like you're getting out of the way of a, of a charging bull. You know, you want to damn near be like swinging your, your weight off of your hips and using all your body weight to look like you're shushing this juggernaut that's coming at you out of the way so you don't get mowed over. But if you just, meh, then the fans are like, meh, meh, you know, that's all they see. And two, God forbid, the, the lost art of selling, like, and some young guys, people go, oh, yeah, yeah, well, they know it's this, they think it's that. And like, well, I get you in the ring. They'll be thinking something different. So all the, the young idea of selling isn't important, I don't think is a, you know, selling isn't antiquated. Selling is something people have been doing since the dawn of time and they'll do it till the end of time. And I think for anybody to think it's antiquated or whatever is probably never been on the receiving end of a legit knuckle sandwich. Yeah. So I think that is important because a lot of young wrestlers nowadays do get they get they get kind of um, maligned, I would say, for doing sure. all flips, no psychology. Sure, you know, and, and I like high spots. I'm cool with high spots. I'm not a. I don't want to not see any cool high spots. But if you don't, the Zillow would say, you know, once you put a solid foundation on your house, decorate that son of a bitch any way you want. But if you just decorate some hollow sheets of plaster, first gust of wind, and that thing's going to crack and fall down. So you know, or you could put a bunch of bricks stacked up. Warm wind is going to blow them over. It's the cement that's going to hold those bricks steady. That's your work rate. So you can do whatever high spots you want, or you could work those high spots and make those high spots work for you. I go tell young guys, are you over or are your high spots over? Like, do they give a shit to see you or do they just want to see that triple Lindy or that triple Fal Falcon uh, bow and arrow driver? Yeah. You know, that, that, that Mitch Gaylord uh, triple sow cow off the top ropes or whatever it is, you know, the, the, uh, yeah, the, the, the blue Falcon thunder arrow bomb driver thing, you know, so it's, it's all cool looking, but if you throw it away, it's, that's exactly that. Like you know, a Canadian destroyer once upon a time was like the most diabolical, amazing looking thing ever. Now it's just a transition or something. So, you well, know, the same thing with the DDT. I mean, yeah, you, you said it when Jake hit it with you, you said I had to sell it. Like I yeah. sold it, but like, you know, by the point that you were wrestling Jake, the DDT almost kind of was not going to say bastardized, but more or less, it was just like, it was a transition sure. move. Sure. It wasn't a finisher. And Jake will be the first to tell you, he's like, well, those guys obviously just don't know how to do it as good as I do, because when I do it, nobody gets up. So there's that. That's <laughs> true. You know, um, but, but yeah, I mean, again, again, as a, as a bodyguard or as a bouncer, if I put you in a in a hammerlock, like a legit hammerlock, you're gonna fold like a like a lawn chair. Yep. So in real, so in 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 sports entertainment, if you grab a working hammerlock, if the and if you make it look mean, and if the other guy actually sells it, you can make that look riveting. You there's tons of details you can put on that and just about everything else. But like I tell the wrestling students and they kind of giggle at this, but like, you know, not just wrestlers, but how many 
my wife is walking out, so I'm, I'm not blowing kisses at you guys, although you're all beautiful. <laughs> blowing kisses at my, my wife behind the camera. Um, so I would tell I would tell wrestlers, and this, this goes for whatever humans anyway, you've all been sitting on a couch somewhere, you know, watching TV or playing video games or whatever, mm -hmm. and you got an eyelash in your eye, and again, you sold it like you were on Invisible Fire, Ricky Bobby style, right? You're, help me, Tom Cruise, help me, Jesus, all that. You know, so if you can sell a little itty bitty microscopic eyelash, you could sell a 250 pound wrestler sticking his thumb in your eye. True. And if you don't, you know, ah, it's cool. My eyes are jacked. I forgive you. Let me just give you this cool hammer lock or arm drag. Then you're a dope and nobody wants to cheer for a dope. But if you sell and if you make it look awesome, people go, oh my God, get up and kick that guy's ass. What a jerk he was for poking in the eyes. Ah, oh, geez. And then one guy is over or girl and then one guy or girl has some heat and so that's a double double win excuse me double you know winner winner chicken dinner you know but if that good guy is fine why are you mad at the bad guy and you know so there's so there's no reason to have any empathy for the good guy because he's okay and then there's no reason to be pissed off at the bad guy because he didn't do anything so who gives a shit it's double double you know so what you're saying is and, and and I kind of feel like this, and Dan, I want you to kind of go into this too, because I know we've talked about this behind the scenes. But um, why does it feel like I need to see a heel or a face anymore? Are there really defined, besides like MJF? There's not really, because everybody want kind of, and I'm, I don't mean everybody, I'm painting with a wide brush, not an all-encompassing brush. Right. So there's some guys and girls that are very clever at navigating these waters. I think MJF is a very clever... Uh, talented person uh, but I think if you're not doing something to be hated you're not going to get hate if you're not doing something to be liked especially if you're not doing something to be liked you're not going to be liked now if you're trying to be cool I've heard so many guys like I'm a heel and they put their lats up like I'm a heel and they want to they want to get the crowd adulation you're not a heel you're a fucking good guy you're trying to be cheered you're being a good guy you know you want to get over and, and do cool things and save the day you're a fucking good guy you know if you can backpedal and go hey i'm okay i'm sorry 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 hey all you guys be quiet shut up you know and you're you're a you know a coward you're an opportunist you're whatever that's a villain you know and again it's not part of some cut and dry black and white no shades of gray good guy club or bad guy club it's it is subjective but it's it's complex and it's simple and what i mean is you know when we were kids y'all ever remember the the super friends cartoon where the, uh, mm -hmm. all the good guys were all just goody two shoes, interchangeably do gooding, you know, characters. They all right. were the same. They all wanted to do good for good sake. And all the bad guys want to do evil for evil's sake. Well, those still, those characters, you know, survive to this day, but the stories are so much more complex where Superman's this boy scout, Batman is this rich douche, Aquaman is this kind of wild, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, Flash is the sort of autistic -y kind of quirky guy, you know, Wonder Woman is this sort of uh, more serious, you know, uh, almost like a historian and whatever with her, you know, her alter ego and all that stuff. Everybody, everybody's got all these layers, you know, and then everybody's got these skeletons in the closet or these bad guys, you know, they get thrown, put in this corner and they feel justified to do what they got to do. So like, you know, for me to be Sinbodhi the good guy or Sinbodhi the bad guy, like I don't have to be Marty Gennetti just because the promoter asked me to be a good guy tonight. Right. I simply... The easiest way I can break this down is I can be on the right side of the conversation tonight. If you're the bad guy and I'm the good guy, I'm coming at you to get that win. 
and you are getting overwhelmed. Oh, fuck, this guy is aggressive. This guy is this. This guy's got my number, and how dare these fans like him, and these fuck these fans, and fuck this guy. He deserves, uh, you know, a poke in the eyes, a kick in the junk, or whatever, and vice versa. Like, on the good guy's eyes, the good guy's like, I'm going to chew this guy. I don't know who this is. I don't care. I just want to get that winner's share of the purse. I want to beat my family. I want to entertain these fans, you know, it's just like being in a we've all been in an argument okay in life not in pro wrestling like we've all had arguments with friends family bosses spouses siblings you know whoever and in those arguments sometimes we were in our heart of hearts right we just knew we were we're right and we argued and in some of the other conversations arguments we knew in our heart of heart we were wrong and yet we still argue. We're not, it's not in the human condition to go, you know what? I was a shithead. I was a cheater. I was a liar. I was this. You're right. I did something wrong. What can I do to make up for it? Most humans will deny and try to find way, either deny or find ways to, um, uh, that's what I'm looking for, to, 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 to make it justified. So, again, I'll joke and say, like, okay, um, I'll tell uh, Steve. Uh, you know, you did that. You ate my dog. And he goes, no, why would I do that? I, I love you. You're my brother. I would never eat your dog, you know, or if, uh, but if Steve did eat my dog, and I said, Steve, you ate my dog. And he went, no, 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 big brother. Why, why, why would you think that? Well, what would you hear? You know, it's still him, but it's how he handles that argument. Is he backpedaling or is he fighting forward? That's a good guy. So I've always, guy. I've been saying for like the last 10 years ish that heels in the business now are good guys who do things for the wrong reasons like they kind of they have a justification and a lot of fans can understand the justification now everybody has a justification thanos thinks he's doing the universe a favor by getting rid of half because it's crowded in his perspective he's the good guy right darth vader thinks he's the baby face he thinks he's doing the galaxy a favor by bringing law and order no matter how many plans he's got to blow up or whatever you know, Hitler thought he was a baby. Do you think Hitler lost a fucking wink of sleep? He thought he was doing everybody's a favor. You know, like he was totally out to lunch and totally evil. But in his brain, he never for a second thought he was the heel. But just well, like in war, there is no good or bad anymore. Sure. You think Zelensky thinks he's a heel? You think Putin thinks he's a heel? You think Biden or Trump think they're the heels? Uh, they all think they're the baby faces. They all think everybody else is the heels. That's in, in, in our art, sport, craft, or whatever you want to call it, that's how you, you know, in, in real life, you're, you are what you are and whatever, whatever. But in wrestling, you're, you're fictionalizing those situations. Is John Moxley justified to do the thing to Eddie Kingston or is Eddie Kingston uh, justified to do the thing to Chris Jericho or is Randy Orton justified to do the thing to, you know, uh, Braun Strowman or, or to, you know, uh, Kofi Kingston or whoever, you know, like it's... Everyone's whoever. multifaceted, right? Sure. And it's just really up to that storyline to, to kind of define, like, is Edge a heel today or is he a bad guy? Is he a good guy or a bad guy? Depending on... Well, is he jumping down Seth Rollins' throat for something that Seth Rollins did, or is he getting clobbered by the Judgment Day? Or, well, you know, is he getting cheered? Is he getting booed? Is he this? Is he that? You know, everybody's just, it's all a, like a creature of, of circumstance. Again, am I the good guy? Because, you know, if if I did something bad and I'm backpedaling to, to say, no, 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 I didn't do it, even though I know full well I did it, that makes me the bad guy. If I'm an innocent man saying, I haven't fucking do that, why would you think that? You know, if I really didn't do it, that means I'm the good guy. You know. I mean, Daniel Bryan got booed. Well, Bryan Danielson, depending on your affiliation, right. he got booed right. for saving the environment. 
Right. There you go. You know, and again, and we're we are weirdly in a land where it's just I call it opposite day, up, upside down, like the, the big upside down. Like, yeah, hey, we come in love and peace. Oh, he comes in love and peace. Kill him. Yeah, I'm, so <laughs> I'm so triggered. You know. Wasn't or that you, a George Carlin bit? It could be very well. I, I'm, a, yeah, I'm a George yeah, Carlin sure mark. Yeah, I'm sure he did, but yeah. You know, and, and and for people to not think, you know, or just not think for themselves, you know, again, wrestling, life, politics, whatever, you know, if, if you just can't think for yourself, I don't know. So I think a lot of these wrestlers are just kind of going down these wrestling kind of video game-esque rabbit holes where like, this is what wrestlers do. Hmm. Bullshit. Wrestlers, they don't have to do any certain thing. Like, from Arn Anderson's mouth to my ears once upon a time, I think we're rolling around in a ring before a SmackDown uh, taping or something. And he was just like, there's no, he were trying to figure out some stuff for the Kazarni shtick or whatever. And he just kind of said, he goes, there's no designed X factor of what, uh, 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 what a wrestler is. There's no X factor for what that is. You know, take a Rey Mysterio, a King Kong Bundy, a Paul Orndorff, a Gangrel, Road Warriors, uh, Triple H. Um, they're all night and day different creatures, head to toe, style-wise, and yet they are all superstars. You know, there, there's no set thing. But, I mean, how many guys you see wearing, you know, the same kind of undies as AJ Styles or Triple H or Road Warriors or this or that? They're, you know, when you're kind of a knockoff, you're just, you're really, or you're, and it doesn't even have to be visually. It could just be a moveset. I can't tell you how many times I get to an indie show and I'll say to the guy I'm wrestling, all right, young man, what's your finishing move? And they tell me it's a Claymore or it's a Styles Clash. I'm like, but is that really your finishing move? <laughs> or is that perhaps somebody else's finishing move? At least it's like, not an overdrive a, anymore or a playmaker. Right. Did, did you put a cool spin on it? Did you put a little extra twist or a little dip and doodle on it? And now it's your own uh ketchup bomb 37 or now it's not a style splash anymore now it's a dragon driver buckaroo you know with a little something or another on it like or hey, is don't it get just super a, dragon heat over here brother yeah the alabama right. screw or, nuts or it, something like that yeah. or is it just or is it you know a razor's edge or a tombstone or a although little, hey hey ethan page does one hell of a variation of the razor's edge that's variations good. are cool i'm good with that but i just when you just kind of straight out do it so like uh i'll tell you one of my students i'm very just so proud of him he is going to be mark my words well he's going to be one of those next kind of indie darling he's just he's already on his way he's just talented as as all get out and he's a good dude uh he's just a good human in and out of the ring but just so talented is matt vandergriff okay so he is the aerial chemist he can just he doesn't pay attention to gravity but he can get down on the mat he can get down with knuckle sandwiches he's just he's a very good dude and a hard-working guy always in there every time i get in that class he's always he's there beforehand he's there during he's there after and so anyway he asked me he's always asked me to watch his stuff and give him critiques and whatever and so one match he had against another one of my kids another guy i'm super proud of is damian drake so they were a tag team and matt vanegrip turned on him kind of a la the rockers back in the day and so they're having this wonderful match and everybody's just buying everything that they're selling. Okay. Everything, everything. Cheers, cheers, booze, booze, cheers, cheers, booze, booze. And then Vandergriff hits a styles clash out of nowhere. Two crickets. And then everything else after that. Before that and after that. Yeah, yeah, boo, cheer. everything was loud. The whole match was loud except for the styles clash. And I'm watching it. I was there watching it live. And then as we watched it back, I'm like, do you know why there was crickets on that and not and nothing else? 
goes, no idea. I said, because they all know you're fucking awesome. You guys are awesome and doing all original material. And then you fucking cover banded somebody who is not like a, a once upon a time guy, but he's a modern guy at the top of his game on TV every week. You just totally cheapened yourself out by hitting a cover band spot right there. You just cover song that. And he just kind of went, well, fuck, <laughs> you know? And so that's when we're wrestlers go out there and they can hit these moves wonderfully. But I mean, I don't know the cover bands are ever going to fill an arena, you know, cover bands just going to be a cool bar band or something like it would look neat, whatever. But if you're not an original act, I don't know how much. So, time you have here. Now, just my, so humble, let's talk about opinion. just my opinion. I, I fully agree with you, but let's I mean, talk right, about but it's just opinion. opinion. Well, let's talk about your gimmick in WWE for a minute, because Arnie, oh, okay. yes, right? Sir. Yeah. Because on it's, this note, before we get unique... into this, I, but, but before we get into this, I will just preface: everything that's coming out of my face hole is coming out of a, a, a out of a human that wears clown paint and bunny slippers for a fucking living. So take everything I say with a grain of salt. <laughs> All right, so we're Arnie... talking about originality and yeah. cover bands, and that is that I that idea and aspirations, um, but. You're doing a carny gimmick in the most carny business of all time. Right. And no one had yeah. ever done that before, somehow. I actually, hear, on a weird side note, I heard, I don't know if it's true or not. I, I haven't, I don't think I've ever met him, I don't think. Um, I heard back in the day, like when I was there, I heard that Manny Fernandez wanted to beat me up because he was so pissed off that I was speaking carny and kind of breaking kayfabe as the character. And he took that as an insult because he's an old school dude. And I just kind of thought, well, I'm a big, uh, you know, uh, fan of his. Um, but so I didn't come up with it. That's what Vince wanted. And, you know, like, tell her, are you, are you going to pay me uh, what Vince is paying me? Or, you know, like, shut the front door, you know, respectfully, you know. And if I, I don't know if that's ever true or not. And again, and I'd, I'd be happy to have a giggle with him and have a conversation with him or anybody that, wanted, you know, wanted to have a debate about this, that, or anything. But I just remember thinking, I just was a funny, weird side story to that. Just that I remember having like so many people like, oh, Manny Fernandez wants to beat you up because he's pissed off that you're speaking Carney. And now the fans know what Carney is. And you, you burst that bubble. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm 20 years too late to burst the Carney bubble of, you know, Ric Flair or Harley Race calling in, you know, Wizard, Chiclizzo, Lizard, Brizard. You know, like I'm pretty sure that those, they, I, I can guarantee all the fans that wrestlers do not call in Carney these days. So. Yeah, no, but how did that gimmick develop? Because you just mentioned, like, Vince, obviously, which Dan and I were talking pre-show. If anyone was going to be pro Carney gimmick, it would be Vince McMahon. Sure. It was all – he loved it. He was uh, – so I, I chose to look like that at the time. I was, I've always been some version of Sin Bodhi, you know, original Sin, Sin Bodhi, whatever. And just like Undertaker, you know, he was a mortician, then he was a cowboy, then he was a devil, then he was a biker, and then he's a cowboy again. You know, just different versions are like Jericho always kind of morphing. He's always Chris Jericho, just some different version of himself, you know. So that's how I always kind of took it, whether I was more devilly or more cowboyish or more clownish or more circusy or more whatever. Um, but I chose to look like that. I mean, I was very Rip Rogers and Michael Hayes influenced and a lot of that red coat and, and the blonde hair was uh, a lot of, and then the, the sort of the, the, the gnarly hands and the, eh, all the crazy face was 
something between a Michael Hayes and a, and a Rip Rogers and a D Schneider and a Green Goblin and all kind of smashed smash together. Um, so I visually chose to do that. And, uh, but of course they want to give you a new name or whatever. So I wrestled as Simbodi at, at FCW and then they asked me to give them a list of different names or whatever, whatever. And then that, none of that ever made it to the drawing board. Um, when I had my sit, sit down with Vince, you know, I, I kind of even agreed to do the carnival stuff back in the day. Like that's what kind of ran off and joined the circus was thinking like, I was already a pro wrestler and thinking I, you know, I've heard it from several people that Vince liked carnival stuff. I have the opportunity to be the sideshow uh, in the sideshow business. So I, I took it really thinking it'd be a good parallel. And I think Vince likes that stuff. So that might make me stand out. And that's how I did that way back just a hundred years ago. So when I had my sit down with him, I would usually say stuff like sideshow or freak show or uh, circus and at best. I really didn't really ever say carnival, but I was just trying to put it to him in, in, in the speak that I think he would understand because pro wrestling started in a carnival, blah, 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 blah. So I thought, okay, so I said carnival as opposed to freak show and all that. And he, he bit on that and he liked it. And then the next day, um, I think that was, that meeting was like at an unfor- backstage at an unforgiven, I want to say. And the next day at TV, he come up to me at the ringside and was just like, Hey, I want to talk to you for a second. Uh, I got, I know what your name's going to be. And he asked me if I could speak Carney and I could, cause again, I was in that weird unicorn age of where I was around a lot of those dudes. And I, I think I made the mistake of saying, yes, this is I Kizan. And he's like, all right, well, good. You're going to, you're going to be Kizarni and you're going to speak Carney. It's Carney for Carney. You get it. And I'm like, yeah, I fucking get it. <laughs> and I was, I was polite about, I was super polite and respectful about it. I still am to this day. Like, thank you Vince for the opportunity. And I just, uh, you know, I, I wish it worked out better. I put everything I had into it, you know, but I think it was one of those gimmicks that was kind of, you know, hit or miss. And I, and I think of the, the era of, that we did that was different. I think it would have worked 20 years ago. I think it would have worked today. I don't think it would have worked then. It was in a very tumultuous time in sports entertainment. And uh, yeah, and I'm a big boy. I'll make my bed and sleep in it. And, uh, you know, I make my living pro wrestling being the Sinbodi, which is the Kazarni that I chose to be um, to this day. Like I am, you know, a legitimate circus sideshow guy uh circus hooker is what you would that's kind of what you would kind of consider me that's the jargon term for a ringer a hooker really a hooker um hookers are the guys that can do the sugar holds and kind of grab somebody up close and kind of put the shoot holds on but still kind of move a guy around uh, you know against their will to entertain the crowd like that's sort of how you smartened up guys back in the day you didn't tell them it was like before my time you would tell guy you just say if you want to you know, you want to get pro wrestling? All right, let's get in the ring. And then you stretch them and move them around and let them try to fight back a little bit. And you give them windows of opportunity. And then you slowly smarten them up to let them know, hey, grab a hold or grab a headlock or do this. They're still trying to get you. They don't know any better. And they don't know until they do, until they kind of figure out what you're giving them. And if they haven't snapped before they figured out what this was, like, then you run them off. And that's kind of how it used to be. So nowadays, I guess anybody with a pair of undies and a pair of boots, not even boots these days, it was kick pads can be a pro wrestler and you know with, with everybody included you know the, the modern inclusion of pro wrestling i think socially is great we're all inclusive awesome lovely but i think with that comes every sort of you know good bad or indifferent along the way like back in the day it was maybe it was back in the day it was too rough and they secluded too many people 
nowadays i think it's kind of too meh, and they wrestling know, is for everyone yeah and i don't know that it is like i think if i could grab you out of the sky and you know knock you out with one with with you know two hands two feet down behind my back i think maybe you shouldn't be a pro wrestler i don't know and it's nothing against high flying or smaller wrestlers like Ray Mysterio is one of my favorite wrestlers. I think he's a brilliant performer. I think I believe everything he does. You know, I've used this analogy so many times that Ray Mysterio is such a good performer that if you were to see him on a show and he build in a, a, this match has happened plenty of times, but you put if you put on the marquee Ray Mysterio versus Kane in real life, there is no hope in hell aside from just murphy's law or a lightning bolt or something there's no reason that ray mysterio would survive more than five seconds against you know five foot five ray mysterio against seven foot tall king that just real life does not apply and he's but, legitimately strong as a brick shit house yeah it just he's big as my fucking house you know and and so the thing is in real life that just wouldn't fly but in the land of pro wrestling, or pro wrestling, land of sports entertainment, whatever you want to call it, Rey Mysterio is such a gifted performer, athlete, wrestler, worker, character, superstar, that he could facilitate a 20-minute match with Kane and everybody would go, holy shit, this is amazing. That's a testament to Ray and Kane's work rate. You know, they're smart enough to work accordingly. They don't lock up and do a test of strength. They do what they need to do. You know, they're not going down a wrestling rabbit hole. They're doing what they need to do. So, again, like, I have so many guys come up to me and go, what's your comeback? I go, I don't know. Like, ask me how I'm going to react in that car wreck in 45 minutes from now. Like, can't plan for that. It's a fucking accident. How do I know? You know, uh, are we having a lifelong blood feud? Is this the first time I'm wrestling you? Are you a good guy? Are you a bad guy? I don't know what the fans are going to do. Is this a hot do. tag? Yeah, I don't know what it's going to do. Yeah, and even on that note, right there, like how many times these days do you see somebody selling, the baby face selling, reaching for the tag? They don't yeah. ever do that. They just run spots until it's time to fucking tag out. And then you see, you hear the, the baby face, the second baby face come in pretty much to crickets because, well, the first guy just blew his own comeback. So if the guy that's getting the heat put on him can NZ this guy, backdrop this guy, do this to this guy, do that to this guy, then tag. Well, if he can get it done, what does he fucking need his partner for? The whole shtick is, I'm in a bad way. I need my partner to help me. That's, please tag me out and save the day. That's the premise of the tag team match. Just like a dog collar match, the gimmick is the dog collar. A cage match, the gimmick is the cage match. Money in the bank is the money in the bank. A gimmick of the tag is, tag me, motherfucker. I need help. That's what that is. But if you just duct tape two singles matches together, and just do all that jazz then it's just going to be it's going to be candy for dinner like it'll be delicious but there'll be no nutritional value in it you know you have ice cream for dinner too many nights in a row and you're going to fucking keel over from no nutrients you know you you need you need that the nutrients of that that love and hate to facilitate oh shit ricky morton's really fucked up he needs to tag robert gibson uh before uh arn or Oli, uh just tear this poor guy apart and they've been cheating behind the ref's back and they've had J.J. Dillon on the outside and all these diabolical things and Ricky's fighting a good fight but he just keeps on getting the raw end of it until Robert Gibson helps saves the day and boom bada bing they do what they need to do like matches aren't done like that these days and again if any young guy wants to call me antiquated which I am not I am as open-minded as possible but I would tell any young 
guy or girl that thinks that train of thought, mine or otherwise, but that train of thought is antiquated, I'd say sign a waiver and let's wrestle for real for five seconds and you see how quickly you want to tag out or see how quickly that's going to suck for you, you know? Um, and again, I, I'm in there to be a performer. I, I'm not a, you know, my days of shooting stuff and are long behind me. I, I wouldn't hurt a fly. I, I take no pleasure from it. Don't like it. But to protect this industry that I love, this sport, this craft, this industry, this whatever you want to call it, I think to be progressive and, and to be open-minded is paramount. But I also think to steadfast to the laws of nature are and, and, and instinct are also paramount. If you can marry the two, old school and new school, that's like peanut butter and jelly, you smash them together. Well, that's one fucking hell of a sandwich that you got there. You know, the best of both worlds. Be open-minded. Again, I, I'll go back to Bruce Lee. Jeet Kune Do, open-minded. Anything is a weapon. You know, what, what works today what and what works yesterday, together, it'll be awesome. So let's talk about martial arts for a minute because it is something that's huge in your life. Lights um, off, motherfucker. Where do you see someone, because we're talking about Bruce Lee. We talked about Jackie Chan. Right. How do you see someone like Steven Seagal who... Okay, so I, I'm probably going to piss off Mr. Seagal here, but I would use him as in analogies too, trying to explain this stuff to the young wrestlers and you say, like, look, you're above the law. You're not that's above right. the law. Yeah, that's absolutely yeah, right. 100%. I would say, you, you, okay, let's look at it like this. You're watching uh, the Star Wars movies, and whether it's the, the New Order chasing uh, the Rebel fleet or it's the Empire chasing the Rebel fleet. The rebel fleet is getting their asses fucking whooped through this whole movie to the point where you're on the edge of your seat going, how are they going to fucking get out of this? Or how is, how are the Avengers going to get out of this? Thanos is just beating the shit out of these guys, you know, but if it was the other way around, you'd be like, oh, the Avengers are kicking the shit out of Thanos for two hours. It's fine. I'll, they're, 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 they got this. I'll change the channel. Or if Luke is beating the shit out of Darth for two hours, you're like, he's got this. I'll change the channel. But if Luke is underneath the whole time, just getting these little hope spots, and then getting yanked back down, literally, Luke is the intergalactic Ricky Morton. You know, he's fighting his way up the card. He's got to go through every fucking pitfall you can possibly imagine. You sit on the edge of your seat. Dusty Rhodes used to say, baby, we'll sell, we'll sell them a whole ticket, but they only going to need the edge of that seat, motherfucker. You know, like that's how Dusty was to us in, in the locker room. And that's, I believe that. If you keep that baby face in peril, the people will be invested. The baby face has it in the bag. Who fucking cares? Like, I want to see Jean-Claude Van Damme or Mel Gibson sell their way through a movie. I don't need to watch a Steven Seagal movie because it's going to be a two-hour baby over squash match. He's not going to give the heels a fucking thing. He's not going to sell a fucking thing. Like, Seagal ain't selling nothing but T-shirts, you know? And who needs he's to see things like that? Yeah, he's, he's like, uh, why, why watch? He's going to be just fine. So I want to see. You could watch just to see him run, even though he doesn't do that anymore. But when he ran, it was absolutely Anything. hilarious. Even not that, I don't want to see high spots with no, I don't want to see guys running those ropes with no end result. Like, you know, guys running back and forth and up and down, they're bumping each other in high spot and all over the place. If there's no heat or no jeopardy, you're just watching ping pong. There, there's heat and love and war. There is no heat in ping pong. Like, if, if And I was just talking about him, heat, like even as a martial artist, because <laughs> a lot of people would allege Steven Seagal is uh not as not as good 
as some people I, I don't think know much is. about him in his legit in his like in his like legit martial arts stuff. I'm just talking more movie analogies. I just I, I kind of like to talk about about wrestling to students, wrestling students in just in analogies, I like to paint with pictures, you know, paint with metaphors. Because like, you know, no fans are watching at movies any different than they're watching a wrestling match. There's no fan that has you know, never done an athletic thing in his life, sitting in the third row and critiquing, critiquing how uh, Orange Cassidy is doing a nip-up or how AJ Styles is doing a Superman punch. Like, well, uh, you know, the, uh, you know the, the degree angle on his axis of his triple Lindy was three inches off, you know, or he only did this or he didn't do that. Like, fans don't think in those terms. They go to Star Wars, they go, I liked it. I didn't like it. I go to Spider-Man. I liked it. I didn't like it. They watch Hulk Hogan versus The Rock. They say, I liked it. Or I didn't like it. It doesn't get a whole lot much more complex than that. They either, they like something or they didn't like it. You like Crown Jewel or you didn't like Crown Jewel. You liked All In or you didn't like All In, you know, and so forth. I was at All In. Right. There you go. So, you know, but you watch it now. I, I, you know, you being like an analyst or something, maybe, you know, even a blind squirrel can find a nut in the dark every once in a while. I bet you you could probably remember a high spot or two from that show, but I bet you you probably couldn't tell me every match on that show, let alone half the matches on that show, let alone half the high spots on that show. And if you could, maybe you're some kind of savant. So again, I'm not painting with like an all-encompassing brush, just a wide brush. I'm just saying, point of fact is, most fans are not going to remember that stuff. I'm a fucking pro wrestler. I don't remember half that shit. I just remember, liked it, didn't like it. You know, oh, the new whatever, the uh, new Lord of the Rings, liked it, didn't like it. You know, the new uh, Star Wars Andor, liked it, didn't like it. Doesn't go a whole lot much more complex with wrestling. It's the same thing. Like, fans are not Siskel and fucking Ebert. They're just there to have a good time. And they're not going, well, the pyro was only at a three Richter scale. Like, they just go, it was cool pyro, I didn't like it. I liked it, I didn't like it. You know, that's... The, the long and short of pro wrestling. So when I hear people squawking and bitching about details, it just makes me kind of giggle because, and again, not to pick a fight with any wrestling fans, because I'm a wrestling fan, I'm a huge wrestling fan. But I just think like, if you haven't been in the ring, like I've never been a superhero, I don't fucking know. I just know what I like to see. I like Spider-Man. Like he's kind of like a Ricky Morton character to me. He's, he's an underneath guy and he's a top guy, but an underneath top guy. You know, he's a guy fighting from the bootstraps. He can easy to get sympathy and empathy. So I want to cheer for him. You know, I don't know that I need to cheer a whole lot for Superman because he's fucking bulletproof. You know, what's he going to sell? He's selling Lois Lane. He's selling Lois Lane the way Edge sold Beth in that I quit match with Finn Balor. Edge didn't quit because of his pain. He quit because seeing his wife in pain is what hurt him. That's just, again, that's some humanity at its best. You know, so whether a fan could remember how great Edge's hip toss was in that match, bullshit. They just go, liked it, didn't like it. That's pro wrestling, but when the fans, I you know that that comic guy from The Simpsons, you know that uh, this is like worst an older, match uh, ever. Yeah, this is possibly a job for Aquaman or Wonder Woman, possibly Ghost Rider. Like, Minus shut the fuck up. Five was, stars. Right? Yeah, this is a five star match. You know, like again, fans are fans. I am a fan. You were a fan. You were a fan. You know, armchair He's quarterback. A dude. She's a, a dude. We're the dude. Right. <laughs> I think armchair quarterback is a much more accurate term for smart mark. I think smart mark is. Way Homer Simpson would say, uh, you know, they're like elves, the creature of myth. You know, like if you guess by accident, <laughs> the right? Like, well, yeah. 
So, yeah, yeah. So, you know, if you, if you accidentally guess something correct in a, in me mechanically in a match, that's again, that's the blind squirrel finding nut in the dark. Like, I don't so know. So let's that. talk about that real quick. Cause sure. AEW partnered with the DraftKings, right? Okay, what's the, what's DraftKings? DraftKings? Um, yeah. as, as a resident of Vegas, you don't know about sports gambling. <laughs> So it's this website. Okay, okay. Oh, I'm sorry. I brain farted. Okay. You, yeah. I'm sorry. Yes. I'm stupid. Yeah. yeah. It's a good thing I'm good looking. So, I'm not so smart. Yeah. And I mean, damn, are you good looking, man? Dash Boy, oh. Brad Pitt stunt double at your <laughs> service. <laughs> I think I saw you in Legend or Legends of the Fall, right? Boom. I, I'm, I'm, I'm Brad Pitt, Legends of the Fall, and my brother is certainly the banker brother in, in the. <laughs> but yeah, like, so they partnered yeah, with yeah, DraftKings. God likes me best. Yeah. What, what, what did I say that aloud? What? We're gonna tweet that at Cobra Kai. Even my dog got pissed off at that. So, yeah, my dog would. We're gonna tweet that at your brother, and uh, we might have some sibling heat. But yeah. uh, so they partner with DraftKings, and the gist of it is, you can parlay what you think is gonna happen during the match. Sure. So, if these things happen, you win money. Oh, I realize why my dog is selling because my wife just got home. So be prepared to hear barking and, and so forth and barking and crying. They're all happy. Oh, I haven't seen you in a hundred years. And by a hundred years, I mean like 25 minutes, you know, ah, where have you been my whole life for 25 minutes? Um, but yeah, I, I don't know that it's uh, a hard gamble to, to guess. Like I'm pretty sure. Oh, I don't know. Some of the guys and girls are going to hit their signature stuff. I'd put money on that. Is AJ Styles going to hit a Superman punch? Probably. I don't know if that's, uh, you know, I don't know if Cookie, relax. It's your mom. It's your sister. They're home. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know that. Uh, Cookie, relax. She's got a way of like, I swear, I'm just going to pull up my gig. Like, she's got a way of like, oh, you should, like, I don't get headaches on certain things, but my one dog's pitch just like gets in my ear where it's going to, I'll sell it and have a, like a migraine later. She's where she, where she barks stiff. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I, she must be Japanese. <laughs> I didn't say that. You said that. You're, style. You're, a white supremacist. you're a racist for saying that about my dog. You're a, <laughs> oh. you're, you're, a, you're, a, you're a dogophobic, dogophobic or whatever. It's a work rate. It's a work rate joke. It's work rate. We swear. Right. No, but I, I, I don't mind them doing fun stuff, interactive stuff with the fans. I think that's a great idea, but that doesn't mean they're getting anything right. It just means why they did it, how they did it, and 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 physically what that feels like or what, you know, it's what is like involved. They're complimenting like you say, for paying yeah, attention say, to the product. Well, if you say, okay, Big Show is going to do a choke slam, all right, well, good bet. But you don't know how his wrist is feeling that day. You don't know how the person's back that he's choke slamming is feeling that day. You don't know if they're going up light, going up heavy. You don't know if they've agreed to do it, if they haven't agreed to do it, if it's off or the if fly, he's taking the Hulk audible. Hogan choke slam. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, right. So you know, there's there's so many mechanical factors, physical factors, psychological factors. You know, so if somebody goes, yeah, he's a big show is going to do choke slam. Well, that's just the sort of the on the on the surface but there's so many layers under the water you know that's just the top wave so for them to pick oh yeah uh roman reigns is going to do this okay great but do you know why or how or what he what effort he put into it or you know what how edge rehabbed his neck so he could still do a spear and all these different what does he do pre-match to make sure he can you know 
put on this heck of a match for everybody and all these things like the fans have you know how does edge feel physically how does aj styles feel how does Rey mysterio feel how does whoever feel after this match how does how does uh you know how does uh triple h feel after he was you know clobbered or this or that he did that tag match with Shawn michaels and he he hurt his leg and or he hurt his shoulder or whatever and how does he feel while trying to finish that match like there's no fans that know what that's like so that's why selling is so important because real life humans you know get injured all the time but they know what that feels like but when you sell a move or or a situation the way a fan will understand it that's what makes people understand what you're going through so again, the age old, old analogy is Rob Van Dam selling his own five-star frog splash. When he, he hits that move from the top rope and he sells his own, his own ribs. He's heard his know. ribs so many times. Right. Well, so every fan in that building, I guarantee you, there's no fan in that, in that whole arena that has jumped off the top rope and splatted on some other human or vice versa. But though all those humans in there have either ate too much in chilies and had Montezuma's revenge or uh, wrap their tummy around a steering wheel in a fender bender, you know, something where they can sell their ribs the way they, what they see Rob Van Dam selling. And they go, I know what that feels like. I have empathy for this guy because I know what he's going through. I went through that, you know, like I, hey, I do that thing all the time, stomping on a guy's fingers or his ankle or something or his toes and the fans go, Oh shit. Because everybody's had their finger caught in the door or stepped yeah. on or something. You know, so it's everyone's had White Castle and had some Rolling Thunder, man. Exactly. And again, the eyelash. Everybody's got <laughs> sold an eyelash, so that's what an eye, that's what an eye gouge is going to be on the on the best of days. You know, so if if the guy just goes pokes him in the eyes, he goes, ah, all right, well, I'm okay. Whip me off, and I'll give you a hip toss. Then that's horseshit. But if the guy gets poked in the eyes and they're just selling it like bloody murder, rolling all around and swinging and trying to, well, I can't see. You know, like uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme and Bloodsport. If you sell an eye gouge like Jean-Claude motherfucking Van Damme, good. But if you sell it like your eyes are as jacked as the rest of your body are, I don't fucking think so. So if it just Steve, if, so if you Steven Seagal it, right? Except for Steven Seagal, yeah. His eyebrows are, or his eye, his eyeballs are just jacked. Yeah, we need mean? to put his eyeballs through the wellness program because his eyeballs are jacked. Yeah, I am a karate master. Yeah, my eyeballs are, are a seventh degree black belt in karate eyeball yeah something like that yeah i can i can break your finger with my eyeball yeah i'm gonna He's, take you to the bank but anybody besides steven seagal the blood bank yeah no nah, i don't think so and except as long as your last name is seagal that's okay then you get a pass other than that uh i gotta ask this did edge clue you in that he was coming back in 2020 Hundred percent, maybe. I'll leave that between. I'll leave. I'll leave that between me and Fatso. <laughs> how happy for you, or how happy for him are you? I was ecstatic. Like I felt like a little kid watching my friend, my much bigger than me little brother. He's about six foot five. They were about the same weight, but he's super tall. Um, I call him my big little brother. Um, he's a, a couple months younger than I am. And it was just, it was such a feel good thing. I'm just my eye, the back of my eyeballs are getting fuzzy. Just thinking about it, like just knowing oh, how yeah. hard of a, uh, uphill battle he had to get that done and what he had been through and just his whole life. Just, he's just, you know, here's the thing. 
for me personally, and I can't speak for anybody else. Um, I am lucky and blessed. I use the word blessed just super openly. You know, I use it whatever floats your boat if you're a jesus guy a buddha guy a science guy an atheist guy whatever i i mean just cosmically just blessed that i have so many people that i care about and that they care about me you know my wife is the coolest most badass human on the planet and next in line to that you know i've got adam who i've known since i was a little boy um christian is not too bad too and uh but I, I, in all seriousness, but I've got, I've got a handful of good friends that, you know, I would take a bullet for and vice versa. And my buddy Bates, who was a, uh, he was one of those woulda, shoulda, coulda wrestlers. He was, uh, we trained by Kim Patera and Harley Race. He was Jason Bates, the, the Belgian brawler. He was the street fighter in Japan. Just, uh, just a sweet, kind, talented, talented man. And, you know, Jake the Snake is my, I, I joke and he hates it when I say this, but I call him my fairy god, brother, brother, brother. You know, he's always had my back. Um, and my, my little brother, my, my parents, you know, I, I've just got wonderful people in my life. And that's just to name a few. Uh, those are just the closest handful of humans I can rattle off on the top of my head. And for me to have that many, uh, I think I've won the lottery in, in life. But I will say out of all of that, you know, wife aside, I think Adam Copeland Edge is the guy that if I was to ever blindly follow anybody, I'm not a I'm a team guy, but I'm not a follower, you know, uh, in life, in wrestling, in anything, you know, if, if I was to find, follow anybody blindly into a battle for anything, it would be that guy, you know, like if he thought, Hey, this is what we need to do. You know, again, I'll ask questions till the cows come home for anything, anytime. But that, if I had to pick one human that I would just blindly, just like, whatever we got to do, let's go. I got you that would be the guy because he is such a clever, such a kind, such a creative, such a hardworking human um, that if I was going to put my money on any human to kind of be the team captain of whatever, like if we're picking president of the planet. I'm going with edge. Like I'm not talking about wrestling. I'm talking about just peace, love and unity for every country. And for, for one person just to go, okay, all these different countries with so many different beliefs and values and likes and dislikes and, and quirks and uh, faux pas and differences. What dude could kind of, kind of Jesus, everybody together. It would it'd probably be, it'd probably be Adam. You know, I think uh, that's the guy I put my money on and that's from knowing him for over 40 years. So it's not like I just liked his trench coat as edge and said, ah, he's cool. I like that guy. You know, I mean, he's a dude I've known since a kid. I, you know, I knew his mom, rest her soul. Matt Fruits, how you doing? You know, uh, she's awesome. You know, uh, she raised a badass little boy into an awesome man, uh, father, husband. Uh, and he's a pretty good wrestler. He's not too bad. So, And that's, that's... talking about Christian, too, because he also had, uh, he was on the shelf for a little bit. Yeah. yeah. How happy for you to see him do... But he's done ecstatic. an AEW. Ecstatic. Uh, same kind of deal. Like just watching him come back. Like we, we rode around together when I, I did a little spot for a couple of weeks. We, we rode around together at, at, and when AEW was in uh, Nevada and California. And I, I did a, a match over there in California. And, um, I was either riding with, with uh, Christian or with, with my good buddy, Jerry Lynn. 
and um, but seeing like seeing Jerry, he's a he's a good brother of mine from wrestling. Whereas Christian is the absolute very first kid I ever remember meeting on planet Earth. Like we met the sandbox at kindergarten. I, I do not remember meeting anybody before him ever. So we've got longevity is in is, is on our side. Like he's another guy I would take a bullet for for sure. And um He's ugly as fuck though. Fuck he's ugly. God damn. <laughs> Just saying. Please don't edit that out. If anything, just oh, put, I won't. That, put that on replay. Leave it in. <laughs> your brother, your brother has heat because he won't give him a call back. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. You know. Well, he already he, he, Jay paid his dues. He's like, I already fucking made your brother get along with you. What fucking else do I got to do? You know. Um. Jay, we've, Jay, we've Jay, had to you. Day, Jay, Jay would refuse to kind of say like, I've asked Jay more than once over the years. What did you ever say to my brother to change, you know, just to to make him agree to kind of get along with his older brother? And he would just always joke and he's just like, I just gave him a lot of money. <laughs> he's like, he's always Jay's like, he's like, look, look at my five billion dollar Rolex, look at my, you know, five billion dollar car. He's like, I'm rich, I'm rich, I'm rich. I just I gave your brother a lot of money. So he likes to kind of he likes to sort of be that that silly, silly guy and but really, he's just, that's all act. He's just, a, he's a sweetheart, I think, in real life. Um, but I don't, so, I, don't, I don't know what he did ever say to Stephen, to tell you the truth. I don't know. We, it's an anomaly to this day. Only <laughs> Stephen and, uh, and Jay know that. So, but I'm happy. Whatever it was, it worked. So that's cool. That's awesome. And we've had you for a bit. And I, I've loved every moment of tonight. Um, oh, but... shucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, go on. <laughs> no, but it's been. I I I don't want to end this. I don't, because uh, I feel like you and I you, and me? Dan. Is that what you're, is that what you're trying to tell me? It's not you. It's me. That was... <laughs> right. No, I just I know that we could keep this going forever. I mean, there's so much left to talk about. Well, let's and... let's not kill the town. Let's leave them wanting more, not less. Exactly. Yeah, we can, we can always hit a hit a sequel. I would love to do a sequel. Dan, would you like to do a sequel? Absolutely. I'll bring Sign my I'll bring up. my gig and we'll we'll, we'll get to it. There Sign me up. Yeah, because we have more to talk Thank about. Coming on. Any anytime. Yeah. Anytime. We didn't, but, we didn't talk uh, about the LJNs, did we? A little bit? Not really. No, we did a little bit. We yeah. talked about them in a little bit. The sequel, bro. The sequel. The sequel. Oh, We're gonna sad. have our our I major wrestling that. figure podcast. Yeah. Ox Baker Wigglebeans. He's selling over there. He's, he's yelping over there. Yeah, my dog is my my dog is trying to get dinner away from my wife. Like, please, <laughs> I'm so hard done by. I'm so starving. Even though you guys give me snacks and treats and food all the time, please, I really need what you are eating right now. So, before we go, yes, um, is there anything that you want to plug? Where can we find you? How do we watch you? Um, okay, uh, so my social media is all uh, Sin Bodhi, S-I-N-N-B-O-D-H-I. So Sin with two N's, Bodhi like the tree. That's my Facebook. That's my Instagram. That's my Twitter. And uh, my YouTube channel is Freak Show Wrestling. It's got a little eyeball cartoon. It's easy to find. And um, yeah, I'm always I'm doing those custom LJNs. If anybody wants one, just send me a DM. If anybody wants me to do a, a wrestling match or a seminar or both. 
I'm always down to do that. That's that's kind of my bread and butter. I kind of I, I play with toys throughout the week and make customs for everybody. And then I and I teach uh, in the wrestling school in Vegas. And all the details are all on my social media. And then uh, I fly out and I wrestle and do seminars just about every weekend. And uh, so, yeah, if you're a promoter and you want me out uh, your way, please uh, send me a message. I would love to come out and jump around spandex for y'all, for sure. Awesome. Well, Sin, thank you so much for teaching us everything. I mean, we, oh, until round you're, two. You're welcome, young grasshopper. <laughs> well, young thank Padawan. you uh, for PWW Talks. I am John. He's Dan. And uh, we'll talk to you very, very soon.